0: Alright. Right, well every Sunday is a little different and uh um, gosh, it's gonna be a, a nice day out there. You know, when it when it made the transition from May into June, boy, it's like somebody pushed a, a switch and uh, the cooler low humidity mornings went away and the warmer high humidity mornings moved in. But hey, this is Texas and you just have to expect this kind of weather this time of year. But I tell you what, highs in low nineties, uh in the upper eighties up in the hill country, not real bad for early summer days. So, uh, hope you're going to get out and enjoy. Gosh, there's so many things to do inside and outside, and uh, it's just a fun just a fun time of year. Looking up at my board, I actually have just one line left open, so uh, grab it. Well, no, it's ringing, ringing now, so uh, uh, we'll have one available for you very shortly. It. Uh, I thought it was going to be a little different starting out. Lloyd was the only person waiting, and now I've got Lloyd and Kim and Kathleen, and uh, I have the fourth name up there for you in just a minute. But uh, anyway, all sorts of fun things going on. Uh, Charles is the number four caller up there. But since everybody's calling in early, let's just get started with phone calls. Good morning, Lloyd. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Uh, I
1: have a problem out in my Hickama patch. What's happening? Uh, I Plano, I guess, it has been about a month and a half ago or so. I got the little plants up. Uh, had a pretty good stand come up. But every time I go out there, I seem to find two or three of them. Uh, they're, I guess, eaten off right at the ground. Mm. Uh, the plant's just laying over, and there's nothing there left to really – I don't see a whole lot of, of anything eating on the leaves. Okay. It seems like just right where it comes out of the ground, something just picked t- t- a couple of bites right at the stem, and the plant lays over and
0: it's That's shriveling of, up. Yep it is probably probably cutworms they do that to tomatoes to tomatoes all the time i've not seen it on hekama but it's certainly a possibility um how many how many seeds did you plant about how many plants do you have coming up
1: well uh, i guess my first planting was about 100 150 okay. and since it's thinned out so much i just replanted and in, uh, in the in the empty spaces now that i have in the in the row
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they're starting to come up okay but i'm still having these uh occasionally i'm losing one here one there all up and down the row
0: well with that i have
1: my garden mulched pretty good so uh-huh. i have plenty of places for things to hide
0: sure, um, sure. what would,
1: what kind of stuff to put on
0: well you know first of all i would probably spray them with bt the worm killer caterpillar killer huh? uh add a little bit of molasses to it and it uh Uh, makes it about 20 times more effective. And that, you know, the problem is the the cutworm or any other caterpillar uh, would have to uh, take a bite To get some of the BTU into its system before it's going to die so you can be sure that they will never kill or never chomp off more than one plant at a time but even one plant is too many. I would also, just to cover all bases um, I don't know about you, but I've got a ton of pill bugs, sow bugs, roly polies, whatever you want to call them in my garden and they could be what's doing it I think cutworms are the more likely culprit, but just to be on the safe side, I would put out some of this bait called Slug-O, sluggo 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 plus uh it's an iron phosphate bait with spinosad in it uh totally safe for people and pets but it will just, take uh, care of pill bugs and,
1: and uh just sprinkle it down just down just
0: rug. sprinkle it around now here is the most effective thing you can do uh but with 100 plants you know it, it's you got to have a little time and a little bit of material um cutworms don't climb and people who have problems with them more commonly going after tomatoes or peppers or things like that will take a Oh, a simple can of some sort, like an orange juice container or a uh, uh, soup can or something like that. Cut out both ends of it and just simply press that down over the top of the little plant. And this very effectively keeps cutworms away from them. If you told me you you had 10 plants, I'd say, hey, that's going to be a real good possibility you could actually just take some plastic drink cups you could take almost anything that you could you know cut both ends out of and simply put down as a little barrier around the plants but with a 100 plants that's going to take that's going to take a little bit more time and uh, uh like i say that i I would start with probably a bt spray and a little bit of sluggo plus and then as you have time you might consider uh again just creating a you know, a little barrier around them, and um, like say, gosh, the cutworms don't climb, so it can be just almost anything that you could put around them that say had three inch high sides uh, that they couldn't go over, and that would almost certainly was, stop the damage a hundred percent.
3: I was kind of
1: kind of wondering because the stems on those uh, little jicama plants are—it's almost a woody type of a of a stem even though when the plants are kind of small i just didn't think it'd be caterpillars eating them off that
0: well when they first come out of the ground you know they they have that kind of little pointy tip and you see the leaves Mm -hmm. starting to form they they are certainly no more woody than a pepper plant or a tomato plant would be and those are the two most common targets for cutworms
4: okay thank you
1: Bob. i appreciate it
0: well good luck with it uh he comes for sure a lot of fun to grow yeah i'm growing up in trellis or up cattle panels what do you have uh for the Uh, vines to grow up on uh,
1: it's a eight foot tall it's actually two cattle panels uh on top of each other okay Uh, and it's about a 40 foot long row i guess
0: that sounds like the perfect thing i'll tell you what i discovered after the first year when I proved to myself that we really could grow as here. I used a, a very similar structure, but I'm using five-foot cattle cattle panels and just one is high enough but I double my production by planting a row of seed on each side of the panels and they're you know they don't make a, as dense a vine to say a grapevine or something like that so I've never felt like they really crowded each other and I was able to grow twice as many jicamas on the same amount of support I don't know exactly how your garden's laid out but if you haven't done that and if you want to plant more seed um, you can certainly go along and plant another row of seed on the opposite Side of the panel and grow twice as many hikamas without putting up any more structure for them to grow on. Yeah,
1: Uh, I had a, I had a little bit of a mishap last year when I when I did it. I, I started these indoors. Yeah. Because I knew I wanted a long growing season, so Mm -hmm. I started these. I guess in about February or so. Yeah. And so I put them out as transplants, and I guess I kind of messed with the root systems a little bit because Uh I had multiple trunks on the jicama i uh-huh. had some jicama that was probably about between 12 and 15 inches across the top
0: wow uh, yeah
1: bigger than a plate yeah it was huge uh but it was a uh, nothing you saw like that in the store
0: no uh, it uh but you know they're they're tasty they don't uh at least mine even they get up almost mine were lots of them bigger than softballs, not quite as big as, say, a volleyball. But uh, even with just a single, you know, vine coming up from them, uh, I found you could grow mighty big, mighty tasty hikamas. and uh, uh, it sounds like you were very successful with it. But uh, like I say, I, I because, they, because they don't make such a dense vine, um, it's just a way to, you know, the double number of plants you can get without putting up any more cattle panels.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, I've got them, uh, my cattle panel's kind of tilted to a, on, to a post. Uh-huh. So it's kind of at an angle. Yeah. So to have one on the back side, I thought it would be kind of shaded a little. So
0: I put
2: right.
1: uh, multiple rows on one side. I'm trying to string it over
2: towards the uh, <laughs>
0: yeah that that will work i I think you'll find though that uh doesn't matter if it's a little shady getting started because those vines will very quickly get up high enough that they'll be getting plenty of some but hey that's just a thought you can you can grow them with one or you know multiple vines just uh um you've certainly seen how big they can get and you realize how far you need to space them out but uh i you know I've certainly never found it necessary to uh start you know transplants indoors they grow plenty big and i have gotten uh, about a hundred percent germination out of the seeds so if your time's as precious as mine is you can you can cut a little bit of the time factor out and just directly seed into the ground which is probably what you've done this year but uh is one yeah, of the easiest crop to grow and uh, uh sure are tasty
1: that's what I've done. I just That's why I'm, I haven't had this problem with them being eaten off yeah. like that because they're, they're a little bit younger and a little bit smaller out there in, in the garden. Yeah.
0: Well, I think you can get well, that taken care of with what we talked about, and you'll be off to a good crop of hikama. Thank you so much, Bob. A you're pleasure, sure. Lloyd. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh-huh. All right, Kim is up next, and it'll be Kathleen and Charles. Good morning, Kim.
5: Good morning. Well, good morning. I didn't call about hikama, but since you're talking about it, I had heard you talking about Hikama and years ago I found some seed and I tried to grow it, and it didn't grow, so I never tried again, and then this year I got some seeds, and um, I had to mail order it, because I couldn't find it locally, I'm in the auction,
2: uh-huh. and
5: um, I soaked it, and I planted it, and I was thinking, it's not going to grow, it's not going to grow, it was when we were getting a lot of rain, and all of a sudden it popped up, so I was excited, but I didn't know it was a vine. So oh, I'm yes. glad
0: to hear that. Yeah, you need when to
5: do I harvest it.
0: Um, it doesn't ripen per se, uh, so it's it's kind of like a potato or an onion or something like that. You can harvest it at any point during the growing season, any time up until freezing weather in the fall. And just take okay. your finger and kind of probe around in the soil and determine the size. Because unlike an onion, you'll have no idea how big it is until you start to dig it up. And, of course, the longer you leave them in, the bigger they will get. And like I say, the flavor is going to be the same, whether they're the size of a tennis ball or whether they're bigger than a softball. So, um you you'll need a some sort of supporting structure even something maybe three feet tall will be high enough that you the vines will grow up uh they are a legume and what you're going to find is you get purple flowers followed by kind of a bean-like seed pod that will usually have from three to five seeds in it and you will never have to buy Hikama seed again so be sure you leave them in long enough to collect a bunch of seed this summer and uh, share with your friends because uh, it's just one of the easiest, tastiest, most trouble-free things you'll ever grow in the garden.
5: Well, I'm excited because then I can get get it organically, which I've never absolutely. In the grocery store, absolutely. And, um, I soaked my seed because it felt very hard. Uh-huh. Do you soak your seed?
0: It depends on how much time I have. I soak almost all the seed I plant in garret juice if I have the extra 15 minutes to do it. But sometimes it's getting dark on me. Sometimes I've got to be somewhere a very short time afterwards. And with Hecum, I just stick the seed in the ground. I think it germinates a little better. Don't over soak it no more than 15 minutes, but uh, certainly oh, wow. nothing wrong with soaking it. But I've never found, you know, it, it speeds up the germination a little bit, but I don't think it's mandatory.
5: And how much, water does it want is it is it a pretty thirsty um plant?
0: i on average i water mine twice a week i water it about like okay. i do tomatoes maybe just a little bit more often than
5: okay. tomatoes okay all right so the reason i called <laughs> was i heard y'all talking yesterday about the early blight and yes. i couldn't get through a, i couldn't get a line through because i know i've written it down like Whenever I'm listening to you, I like write notes down like crazy, and then I don't know where I've put them. (laughs) (laughs) So the cornmeal spray—I know I put in one and a half cups of cornmeal to two gallons of water, and I'm like, I don't remember what the you know how long I soak it. If that was even the right—that's that's that's fine. One to one. No,
0: it's it's you're fine with that kind of. uh, Amount. I don't think you really have to use quite that much, but that would be good. Soak it overnight. 24 hours is fine. I don't think I'd soak it over 36 hours. And if you're going to just pour it over the plants as a drench, um, it just, you know, put your cornmeal in the water and go for it. Uh, if you're going to actually spray it to avoid having to strain that solution, Put your cornmeal down in uh, the toe of a pair of old pantyhose or stockings or something like that. And that way you don't have to strain it. You can just, you know, pull them out, throw them away. And uh, they're they're already ready to go into your sprayer, but I think that's important in both preventing and curing. When I plant tomatoes, I typically will also sprinkle a big hand of cornmeal, uh, whole ground cornmeal, just on the surface of the ground around the tomato mm-hmm. plant because a lot of times early blight, which is a fungus disease, gets started when you're either watering liberally or when we have a rainstorm and you're actually splashing you know the spores out of the soil up onto the leaves of the plant now um, that's a problem for most all of us because we almost always water by hand when we're first getting started after my tomatoes are up and growing I switch over to relying on a drip hose uh, you know the pressure compensated drip tubing to water and that eliminates the possibility of my splashing more of the disease around. But, of course, uh, uh, we can't control Mother Nature. So I like putting a little bit of cornmeal on the ground in addition to spraying the foliage just because everything you do to prevent is certainly worth the effort.
5: Okay. Um, and so typically what what is your recipe? Is it one-to-one, one, like one cup to one gallon?
0: Um, it's a big handful to a gallon of water. It, like oh, okay. so many yeah. things organic, you do not have to be measuring real, real exactly.
5: Okay, all right. Um, and so I should wait at least twenty-four hours because it's like I—I I think I started at around ten o'clock yesterday. You know, if you
0: like, if you if you put your cornmeal in in the evening, you can use it the next morning. Uh, I would okay. give it a minimum of twelve hours.
5: And is there a like a? certainly like i shouldn't spray it now that it's if the sun is up and no them, I no don't
0: do it, so do it any pain. do it anytime you like it's not phytotoxic okay. in any way so you can spray it in the cool of the morning or the heat of the afternoon it'll make no difference
5: all right great thank you
0: you are certainly welcome i appreciate the call and uh let me know how you do with your hikamas
5: okay thanks thank you kim bye
0: all right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Kathleen Charles Thomas and Tom. Good morning, Kathleen.
6: Yes. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I'm sitting here and having a cup of coffee and admiring my marigolds and zinnias on the patio. Excellent. Yes. What I, my question is, I'm repotting uh, a tree hibiscus,
2: mm-hmm.
6: and I want to know uh, should I put fertilizer in the potting soil with it.
0: If you're using an organic product like, you know, Medina or Natural or Nature's Creation or. uh uh, some one of those uh, is absolutely fine to mix it in with the potting soil i i don't like these peat based miracle grow soils and things like that that add the synthetic chemical fertilizers but uh yeah i love mixing a little bit of growing green or uh premium lawn food from nature's creation in with the soil when i plant and uh, your hibiscus will love it too
6: okay another question I want to put it on the patio where it gets the morning sun. Is that sufficient?
0: That's the perfect place for hibiscus. Uh, A lot of the prettier ones especially some of the reds afternoon sun will actually sunburn the flowers but morning sun is plenty to get your hibiscus to bloom and it'll keep the blooms beautiful all day now none of the hibiscus have flowers that last more than you know 24 36 hours but morning sun afternoon shade is the perfect place for tropical hibiscus
6: good this is a pretty yellow one, which oh, I, yeah. I'm looking forward to. And also on my cucumbers, they're blooming, blooming, but I don't see any any little cucumbers coming out. Not How long su-
0: do I- not surprising because uh, with cucumbers and squash and pumpkins and melons and all these things, uh, the male flowers are s- separate and apart from the female flowers, and those the male flowers, of course, can't. Uh, you know, can't produce cucumbers any more than us guys can have a baby. So look at the flowers. If, um, you know, you'll see sort of a big yellow mass in the center of the flowers. That's the pollen. Those are the male flowers. When you start getting female flowers, and many cucumbers will produce 15, 20 male flowers before they make the first female flower, but you'll see what looks like a little tiny cucumber at the base of the flowers. When you start seeing that, assuming that you've got some insect activity you should start getting plenty of cucumbers if you see those little mini cucumbers back there but they're not developing could mean you don't have enough bees and you might need to get a little bitty artist paintbrush or something like that and get in there and you know kind of transfer the pollen from the male flowers to the female flowers yourself but most of the time we have plenty of bees to do the job but uh, all the cucumbers this year seem to be producing an abnormally number, large number of male flowers before they start making the female flowers.
6: Okay, yeah, okay. How often should I water my tomatoes in in pots? Does that make a difference? Uh...
0: The secret, what I always tell people is there's no such thing as too much water, but there is too often. So you want to really soak them when you water them, but let that soil get dry about an inch deep before you water them again. How often that is uh, is going to depend on how much wind, how much sun... Uh, and what the temperature is it's probably going to be every day or two but uh, you know there's just the best moisture meter in the world is your index finger and you just need to get out there and check the soil the easy thing is that you know all your pots probably going to divide going to dry pretty much evenly so if one plant needs water they probably all do if one plant is plenty moist and they're probably all plenty moist so uh, just it's going to take you somewhere between uh, five seconds and however much time it takes to water them all. But but get out and just feel that soil every day.
6: All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate your help.
0: Well, Bye. it is always my pleasure. I appreciate the call this morning. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk to Charles. Good morning, Charles.
7: Hello, Bob. How are you morning. doing this morning?
0: I'm great. Thank you. How about yourself?
7: Okay. My question is kind of a curiosity Okay. Okay. A, a few weekends ago, there's a little hook in a tree of mine out here, and I hang a water hose in it so my grandkids can fill up their water guns. Uh huh. And I had a bunch of those uh, uh, moss balls kind of laying underneath that tree till I got ready to throw them away. Okay. It, and it got all muddy there, and they kind of run them into the mud, so I just left them there. And now they, it's all just as pretty as it looks like all green grass right there.
0: Well, you know...
7: They, they it, took root. Do what now? Those boss balls took root. Mm. I, 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 yeah, I know. I knew you was going to do that. To me. Well, I had to bring one to you for you to believe it, wouldn't I?
0: <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's kind of like uh, I saw a little package one time at Cheerios, and it was labeled Eggie Donut Seeds. I uh, don't think that's going to happen. Mothballs are either naphthalene or paradichlorobenzene. Uh, but, you know, no, no, they...
7: No, 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 hold on, Bob. The, the ones that come out of the tree, the, the, you know, they're round balls that hang in the tree... Oh, okay. Um,
0: yeah.
7: They all took root.
0: Well, it, um, I, you know, could... Uh, but if you're if you're talking about acorns, of course they they can no, sprout no. and grow. But the the little um, there are
7: no, there there are the round moss balls. That oh, I'm sorry, tree.
0: you said moss balls. I thought you were saying moth m o t h moth balls.
7: Yeah, yeah, I've got a cut in my chin. It might make me talk different.
0: Well, or we have weird, you know. Audio equipment around here, so I might be hearing differently. But yeah, the the little so-called moss balls are actually individual little live plants. Uh, they're actually a type of bromeliad called Tillandsia recurvata and it doesn't surprise me they you know they just kind of take root wherever they land on the soil they usually the roots eventually stay too wet and they eventually sort of rot away but uh that little gray mass is actually a live plant and in the spring when it starts reproducing it starts growing roots so uh um you've just got a little you've got a little bromeliad growing there
7: <laughs> well, it is uh uh there's there's nothing that ever grows there because it's uh i don't know it just don't get no sun or whatever and it's just a bare spot nice nice little green spot
0: well i you know (laughs) by, by all means if it's pleasing to you leave it just don't try to mow it or you know you'll rip them up and they'll all go away but no those are those are individual little living plants uh they're Ken to pineapples but you know not real close Ken. but uh yeah it's certainly possible that they would grow roots uh if you'd had pieces of lumber lying underneath there they would put their roots into that and grow if it wasn't treated lumber um if you had you know a pile of pipe down there they probably would attach to that and grow some roots so uh, uh just it's a moist spring and they're doing what mother nature intended them to do
7: yeah okay but you can't even grab them and pull them out of the ground.
0: That's uh, that's more than I've ever seen, but I haven't seen it all yet. I've seen a lot of things, but that's an unusual circumstance. But uh, it's certainly certainly plausible because uh, being a a living plant when the juvenile stage, they will form plenty of roots, and it sounds like yeah. they just found a place they were happy.
7: Yeah, I noticed like when we was getting all that rain, they'd kind of turn real green in Absolutely. the tree. Absolutely,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. the the gray color that you see associated with them is actually because the leaves are coated with little cellular structures they call scales, and that's how yeah. that plant absorbs its water. It can absorb absorb water just from uh, mist or fog in the air, or right. rain certainly, or any you're giving it a lot of water. It has the potential to produce a lot of roots. So you just got a little uh, a little bromeliad garden growing out there.
7: Now, what you
0: call it? It is a type of bromeliad, B-R-O-M-E-L-I-A-D.
7: Oh, uh, okay, okay.
0: Tilan- per, you know, technically it's, it's called a tilangia. Uh Most people just call it ball moss, but it's not a moss. It is a bromeliad. It's related to pineapples and uh, those fancy bromeliads you see in the nurseries and in the grocery stores. Yeah, Uh.
7: What? Wh- you know, like if you get... Farther up north, you don't really see that in trees? Is no, sir.
0: because of the coast? It's because of the cold weather. Oh, they won't, okay. they won't take severe cold. And if you go over toward Louisiana, you see its uh, very close cousin they call Spanish moss. Uh, same right. genus. It's Delancea oosnioides is its uh, botanical name. But it's uh, just first cousin to what we, what we have here in the hill country. But you're not going to see either one of them very far north because they freeze in the winter.
1: Oh, okay. Okay.
0: All right, Bob. you get out and have yeah. a good weekend and uh it's yeah. good to talk to you charles uh... all right back to gardening and back to the phone lines thomas is up first good morning thomas good
8: morning bob
0: good morning sir
8: uh wild worms uh-huh well the beneficial nematodes uh, these are pretty deep i'm planting a bunch of caladium bulbs yeah. and not
0: Yeah, beneficial nematodes, they'll totally take care of your wireworm issues. So, deep. yeah, yeah, they they will go as deep in the soil as they have moisture and as the soil is relatively loose. And when you are applying the beneficial nematodes, you're putting out up to 200 nematodes per square foot when you put them out according to the directions. And uh, wireworms are actually a little segmented, Uh, creature they're not true worms they're the larval state of a click beetle and uh, yeah they will go as deep as the roots of your plants grow and uh, they uh, that's one reason that I usually treat my garden with nematodes before I plant each season Uh, their biggest problem of course is with uh, root crops like potatoes and onions and jicama and things like that but beneficial nematodes are by far the best way to take care of wireworms.
8: Okay, another thing—a uh, good hose-in sprayer. That, do you know of any that that you can reach up into a tree? You know, uh, at a, in a pretty good distance. I tell uh, you, I've—we've recently
0: found a new line of you know pump-up sprayers and hand sprayers, but I have yet to find a good hose-in sprayer. I mean, uh, uh, Ortho used to make one they call a tree and shrub sprayette that you can spray 20 feet with, and you might accidentally find one. You can certainly go online if you like, Uh, but Ortho is, they were the best sprayers ever found, and they're just, I don't know whether they stopped making them or whether they're just not distributing them through the same channels. Uh, These Gilmore sprayers, uh, they have one that has a little dial that will give you more of a direct stream that you probably spray 10 or 15 feet with. but. Man, if you've got a bunch of tree spraying to do, and I don't really, you know, you don't usually need to spray too high, but uh, you can always go out and rent a decent quality sprayer from just about any rental store and mix up whatever you're spraying in a garbage can and just set the sprayer up on top of it. But uh, for one, on the end of the hose, see if you can find one of the old ortho tree sprayers. Um, if not, Gilmore's about the only one on the market, and they're not the quality that i usually look for
8: okay another thing i've got this oak tree that i i'm trying to get uh the roof flare to show but uh-huh this thing is, was kind of hidden and it had a lot of this, uh, jasmine you know all grown yeah. around it yeah <clears throat> i got the roof exposed you know i just use a water hose if with you with
0: some with some uh soils you can do that Kind of depends on how deeply the tree is buried, and in a heavy clay soil, you almost have to use, uh, I've used an old hay hook. That's what one of my arborist friends taught me a long time ago, Uh, just use a hay hook or something similar to that. I know Howard Garrett uses uh, that uh, Japanese gardening tool called the Hori Hori knife. It's just a real strong bladed knife. That uh with kind of a serration on one side, but hey, if your soil is such that you can wash it away with a hose, I don't think I'd go with a pressure washer, but just an ordinary. hose, you know, on
8: yeah. the, the nozzle and just, the end of the
0: Yeah, you're not going to hurt the roots with that, and that's a great way to
8: do it. Well, some of these roots, Bob, are big. They're about as big as like a twelve-gauge shotgun shell. Yeah,
0: and that's what you want to get exposed when you're down to seeing those roots. You're down to the root flare.
8: These are growing. They're already kind of girdling the, the the trunk. Uh, can of Should I cut them away? Yes, sir.
0: If they're actually pressing up against the trunk, even if it's just on one side, um, take an old wood chisel or something like that and cut the roots. Now, um technically we ought to seal that cut i don't think it's absolutely mandatory but if i was in an area that i had oak wilt all around me i'd actually dab a little uh spray paint or something onto the ends when i cut them but yeah if you've got a root that's growing laterally along the side of the tree trunk it would be Uh good to go ahead and remove it if you have one that's actually you know, wrapped around the trunk, it's very important to do that. But do it carefully, because sometimes those things build up so much pressure that uh, when you cut it, it can actually pop open with some force. But if that root's just up against the side of the tree, it's eventually going to cause issues, and this would be a real good...
8: kind of embedded in the trunk already.
0: Well, go ahead and cut it. You don't necessarily have to pull it out, but just cut one end of it uh, so that it won't keep getting bigger
9: they big.
8: they like a 20 oh, gauge, maybe a twelve gauge shotgun shell. Right? Well, you know, pretty
0: good guy. Get yourself a good wood chisel and just you know two, three whacks with a hammer on each end, and you'll you'll at least sever it. Okay, Bob. Get your work cut out for you. You have a great day, Thomas, and we'll we'll talk again. And I'll go to Tom from Thomas. Good morning, Tom.
10: Hey, how you doing?
0: I'm great. We're doing very well. How about yourself?
10: Pretty good. Pretty good. I've got a lot of red tips around the exterior perimeter of our small lot.
0: I'm sorry. And
10: I'm up, Yeah. And some <laughs> up against the uh, house. They were probably planted there, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, something
0: mm-hmm. like that. When Steve George was here and he told us they were the perfect plant, nothing ever went wrong with them, and then he left town.
10: Yeah, we bought uh, my in-laws' place, and uh, the old man, they planted 20 of them. They yep. probably spaced three to five in some areas. We've gotten rid of a few, but and um, maybe four or five years ago we had some spots. I fought it off, kind of got everything out from underneath the the plants, thinned them up a little bit, and then um, at that time I didn't even spray them. I just put down some good uh, compost soil on top around all the roots. Uh-huh. Uh This time it's gotten a little bit worse, and um, I'm starting to kind of lose some here and there. I just want to make sure. Is there anything else I can do? Uh, I'm clearing away the bottoms right now to try and dry out the soil around. Um, I may try to throw some good uh, compost soil from, say, like Barnville or something, around some of them just to kind of give it some more nourishment. But I've used some sprays in the past, and I'm not sure if they worked. No, they're you're you're just
0: treating symptoms. The disease is called Entomosporium, yeah. and the you're you're doing the best thing you can do. Clearing around, and you actually need to remove the soil down to where you actually see the root flare on those trees. Yeah. Red tip fotenia can be a nice plant if you let it grow the way it wants to grow, which is fifteen feet these, tall and eight feet wide.
10: These are, I yeah. mean, they used to be. Uh, he kept them more of a hedge, yeah. kind of a uh, maybe at the limit of an eight foot ladder stand up there trying to trim it to top them. Sure, and uh, pretty pretty well. Probably about three feet in diameter. Mm-hmm. We let them kind of go a little bit. We've got some that are just gigantic, and they're doing fine. Yep, uh, way up in the sky. Well, Those you just need, that, you know, they're just going to kind of get overbearing.
0: Yep, but you need to try to put your pruning shears away. That's a single most contributing factor to having them get diseased is being pruned they absolutely hate pruning and the ones up against your house you're never going to make a nice six foot plant out of them you probably ought to just no. think about replacing those I- but if you if you need a barrier hedge and uh you can keep your pruning to a minimum they can actually be an okay plant not nearly as good as chinese fotenia, but that that pruning is what makes them more disease susceptible than anything else
10: well, I've got to trim some of the saplings and stuff off of the ones that are kind of around the house that are growing at the big trees. Is that uh-huh. okay?
0: Yeah. Well, just every every time you prune, you increase the chance of their contracting this Entomosporium disease. Um, you will help them with the compost like you've done. Um, you will help them with just a good organic fertilizer. But just uh, just keep the pruning to the minimum. Mouth that you can, and uh, you'll keep them healthy. There's, I've not found any spray that really works against that endomycosporium. You could probably, <laughs> yeah, you could use corn water tea or something like that. But in this case, a little bit of prevention is better than a whole lot of cure.
10: Yeah, I think we've almost missed the prime on these guys. Uh, some of them are getting old.
0: Well, again, if you can avoid pruning, they ought to live 50 years. But uh, if, um, if the, just the more you find it necessary to prune because, you know, the last person planted them in the wrong place, um, there just comes a point when pruning them off at ground level is going to be the best solution.
10: <laughs> okay, I got you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, the people ask me what product they should use, and I say it's called chainsaw.
10: Yeah, my wife hates it, but I pull out a couple here and there every couple of years.
0: Well, there there are much better plants to put in their place. So uh, do what you have to do, but just try to keep the pruning to a minimum. Expose the root flares like you've been doing, and mulch, okay. fertilizer. Uh, you'll keep them going reasonably well.
10: Okay. All right. Well, thank you very
0: much. You're sure welcome, Tom. Thank you for the call. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Christy is up next. Good morning, Christy.
11: Good morning, Bob. Uh, I just have two quick questions for you. I have one. Is I have a plumeria. Okay. And the branch of it has gotten kind of long before it has three uh, branches sprouting out at the top. I just, can I cut that off and reroot it? or
0: You're going to sacrifice all your, your flowers if you do that. Okay. I okay. would you what I would do is probably wait until late in the summer until we get beyond their heavy blooming period, not all the way up to cold weather, but if you wait until that time while we still got some heat, you can root in perlite, you can root the pieces you cut off, you can encourage it as it puts on new growth to uh be a little lower, but that's kind of the way, you know, plumerias grow. They're just not the prettiest plants in the world, but they sure have beautiful, fragrant flowers to them, but I, I sure wouldn't do it at this time of the year because we're just coming into the season that they ought to start flowering.
11: Oh, okay. And do they like full sun or?
0: More sun, the more flowers. More now, if they've been in a shady area and you suddenly move them to the sun, that's like you're going out on the beach the first day of spring before you've, uh, you know, gotten it all acclimated to it. And, of course, the, my dermatologist friends would tell you don't ever get out in the full sun without a, you know, shirt and hat and all. But once uh, the, uh, the plumeries, once they are accustomed to it, the more sun they get, the more flowers you're
11: going to get. Okay. Okay, great. Um, Well, thank you. And then my second question is I may need to come in and show someone this leaf. I have some shrubs um, that I think they are similar to a boxwood. They have a little, tiny, uh, long, narrow leaf, but we just let them get way overgrown, Mm -hmm. and now we've cut them back, and it's just all woody, of course. I just wondered, if I trim, cut them back low, will that just kill them? or
0: Probably. Um,
11: probably.
0: Yeah, talk to me first next time. What you need to do when they've gotten badly overgrown We do our pruning in two stages because you never want to take off more than about a third of the leaves at any one time. So let's say you've got your boxwood or whatever they are. They're six feet tall. They have each plant has about 10 little stems coming up. You want them to be back three feet tall. You take half of those stems and go ahead and cut them way down low, even if it takes most all the leaves off. Let them sprout out, begin making new leaves, and then you go through and cut back the other half of them. You just kind of do it in stages. Uh, When I moved up to my family place in the country, you know, I had eight-foot-tall boxwood in front of the house. And with that two-stage process, I got them down to about a four-foot hedge, which is what I really wanted. But you just don't want to do it all at once. Take all the leaves away at one time, you run the risk of losing them.
11: Okay, well, we kind of did that because they were growing to the side of a sidewalk, and they mm-hmm. were growing out, or they're almost blocking. So I yeah. cut the side, but luckily I couldn't reach the top. So
0: <laughs> well, just, <laughs> just remember suffer. the rule of thumb. Uh, don't take off more than a third, maximum half the foliage at any one time. You can prune them any time of year, except in the fall because in the mid to late fall you cut them back they put on a flush of new growth which then freezes because it doesn't have time to harden off but uh if you want to work on them anytime through uh the summer months you feel free to sharpen your shears and go to work
11: okay great well thank you so much i appreciate it (laughs)
0: you're welcome christy thanks for the call Uh, goodbye all right kirk's turn next good morning kirk hey good morning bob how are you i'm good how about yourself
12: Good, good. Got kind of an elementary question for you, but okay. uh, it's about Berm- Bermuda grass. Um, I recently moved up from Corpus Christi. I had St. Augustine down mm-hmm. there, so I haven't dealt with Bermuda grass much. And I'm out in the St. Hedwig area, and they put the sod down, oh, probably a couple months ago. It seems to be doing pretty good, starting to run together. But is there a certain amount of time that I really need to wait to? To start fertilizing, or is it time to do that? If
0: you use an organic fertilizer, 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 yeah. If you use an organic fertilizer, I do it before you put the grass down. Uh, There are no precautions whatsoever. Bermuda grass likes lots of fertilizer, lots of sun. Um, it will tolerate getting dry, but if you're really wanting good growth, water it just like you did your St. Augustine and Corpus, and uh, it's it's our toughest, hardiest grass. Unfortunately, you may have to deal with sugars and a few things like that. Did they plant common Bermuda, or did they uh, get the little uh, dwarfer form they call Tiff Bermuda? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not real sure. How, how tall is it growing up?
12: uh it well i'm keeping it mowed but it's you know it'll get up to about three inches if i don't keep it under control pretty quick you
0: okay know? well the care is the same if it is super super dense Uh, that's your TIFF Bermuda, and it's best if you mow it low. Common Bermuda, toughest, hardiest grass in the world, and uh, you can do almost anything to it. But uh, if you're able to water it once a week, if you're able to fertilize it two to four times a year, like I say, stay organic on your fertilizer. It'll be tough, hardy grass. Uh, Only grass stronger than that is St. Augustine. Bermuda will choke out weeds, choke out pretty much all the other grasses, anything else that tries to come up.
12: Okay. Is there? Uh, is it just a granular organic?
0: Or That's is, what, what I would use. You, uh, Nature's yeah. Creation, Medina, Maestro Grow, Espoma—they're all good brands. I'd shop around, and uh, oh gosh, you may want to go over to Morales Feed or somewhere like that. Uh, you've got you got some folks down there that'll have a good choice on fertilizers for you.
12: Okay. And one last question about it: as far as is the height to to cut it. I've, I've heard, you know, you let it get too tall, you can, you know, open it up to so <laughs> No, if you, if, you
0: if you let it, it get too short. tall, it'll just be brown when you cut it back. You cut it at whatever height that works for you, and uh, Bermuda will do just fine. It doesn't really care. Just super hardy grass. I've got to go to news. This is KTSA Radio, San Antonio. And uh, let's just get right back to the phone lines. Good morning, Mac. Good morning. Hey, Mac, how are you?
13: Uh, I'm doing okay. I I have two different questions for you you always help me with the mysteries of gardening
0: i've I've seen most of them but not necessarily all so what's on the agenda today
13: well what's on the agenda today is a while back you were talking and i believe you said it was a friend of yours that would get coffee grounds at uh, starbucks
0: (laughs) It's more likely me i get lots of coffee grounds at starbucks yes sir
13: well let, let me ask you. But this is a question I had on that because I've been considering that because fairly close to me, there's been a Starbucks mm-hmm. open up. Yeah, and I thought of that. And my question is though, and I, I don't know if this is is even legitimate or not, but I was wondering about the coffee grounds having any uh, effect. On the chlorine and the city water that uh, was used with
14: them?
0: You know, um, not. I don't know of any negatives with Starbucks coffee grounds. Now, uh, they actually use uh, some pretty nasty stuff to f- make decaffeinated coffee in some different areas. But Starbucks uses something they call the Swiss water product process. And okay. all of their coffee grounds are free of uh, you know any negatives now i wouldn't plant directly in them but coffee grounds have a little bit of nitrogen in them so they have some fertilizer quality they are exceptionally good at growing beneficial fungi i mean if you just let them pile up out there somewhere uh they would grow more different my grandfather would have called it technicolor fungus you'll see fungi in colors you never knew existed but it's all the beneficial stuff there's nothing harmful there and um again, I guess it's possible to overdo it, but blended in with soils, uses a light mulch on the surface of the soil, added to your compost pile. Um, those are all very good uses for coffee grounds, and I do commend Starbucks. Most of the different Starbucks stores actually put the coffee grounds in bags. Uh, it's a silver bag that will have a little sticker on it that says grounds for your garden. Now, really good Starbucks stores—they pull those filters out of them, and you just get a bag of pure coffee grounds. That's what my Starbucks in Bernie does. Others are a little bit lazier, and you're going to get those old paper coffee filters mixed in with all the uh, coffee grounds. But they're going to decompose in the compost pile or whatever, and it's just a little more trouble to pull the trash out of it, uh, you know, when you put them out. But uh, uh, Starbucks, in particular, you know, their processes. Produce a good, clean coffee ground, and uh, I think they're—you uh, know—it's one of the best free things you could ever be adding to your garden soil.
13: Well, I wondered about—I wondered if they maybe had some kind of process. Uh, I'm not I haven't met a customer of the Starbucks. And as a long-haired country boy, uh, it was a little bit out of my league.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Starbucks, I'm I'm not a coffee drinker, but I sure do love uh, something they make called chai tea latte. And uh, my friend Howard Garrett tells me, oh, he doesn't really like their coffee that much. But everybody's a little bit different. Uh, Starbucks has created a... Uh, just an absolutely amazing social network gathering place and kind of an incredible line of products. And, uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy them. I, it's my days off. I, I usually see some friends up in Bernie before I set in on the day's work. And here in San Antonio, I'm usually, By there early in the morning, picking up a chai for my business partner and I, and in this case, uh, a cup of their good tea for our manager that arrives shortly after I leave in the morning. So, yeah, I frequent Starbucks, and I, I do like and I do use their coffee grounds in my own gardening. That chai tea latte actually sounds good. Um, uh, it, it certainly is. But, yeah, you can use it in flower gardens, vegetable gardens. You can put it out on your grass. I, I just think it's far better used in your garden than it is going into the landfill. And, uh, again, I commend Starbucks for, for the recycling job they do on it.
13: And the filters will decompose? Yeah.
0: Yeah, they'll break down. But, you know, if you... If you if you talk nicely to them, maybe uh, maybe they'll see that those filters get pulled out before you get the grounds, and you just get pure grounds, which takes about five seconds to dis, you know disperse a bag of it. So it's a good thing to do, Lloyd. Mac,
13: I appreciate that. My second question is now this is totally different. My mother years ago on a property out in the country. She planted some uh, succulents, and I don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. And the guy that she got them from said, he said, you're going to regret asking me for those. Okay. My mother, oh, they're pretty and everything, but before she passed, well before she passed, she said, I wish I'd never planted those, and I call them the hated gray plant. Okay. They really did go wild and become evasive mm-hmm. and I noticed that where they grew was from where they were originally planted and then where some had been taken out and uh, piled and not burned right away, kinda downhill like the sea traveled somewhat mm-hmm. uh, rainwater. Sure. And by quite and their real their Extremely thick Mm -hmm. under some trees and native brush. Okay. Now, my question is this. I heard that fire will kill a succulent, and I know that out in the country, I used to burn pear, prickly Mm -hmm. pear for cattle. And I found that uh, the pear burner, while it wouldn't kill the prickly pear, would kill things like the Tassahea.
0: Sure. Yeah.
13: And other things yeah it's and I
0: wonder, yeah in in many it depends on the plant but you know in california they actually plant succulents as a fire break around homes in the areas the canyons and all that are susceptible to wildflowers so um flame is not usually the way to eliminate them um and they're not harming anything on earth i mean they um it, it, there there's nothing that they're no problem that they're causing uh somebody told you that they could become a problem if somebody had told you this is the most wonderful thing in the world you'd be feeling really good about all that stuff growing out there so it just all comes down to whether you like it or not many of the succulents with small leaves actually every leaf that breaks off can form a new plant um <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, you can literally water them to death they hate excessive moisture you can get out there with a grub and hoe and really thin them out you can mow them off with a shredder and limit their growth and spread but uh your your good old pear burner that you burn the spines off so the cattle would eat them not going to be the way to go against those guys i uh, one of these years we will either get a wet spell that is so wet they simply rot out or will get a dry spell so dry that they die from the drought because uh even succulents have to have water periodically but my advice is put up with them you know it's uh you can also get rid of them you if i really want to be rid of them i'd spread you know a tarp or some plastic or something like that black plastic over the surface of the ground let it heat up over the summer months and it'll literally bake them out of the soil uh, or you can use anything that shuts off the light to them, and they will rot because they have to have at least a moderate amount of light. There are lots of different ways to go after them, but uh, that's going to be pretty low on my list. I'm not going to go after them till I've gotten rid of all of the juniper and all the Johnson grass and a number of other noxious things growing around my property.
13: Well, let me ask you this. Uh, would, would I, I know... I like you. I don't like to use chemicals. Don't. But I have heard you say that diesel and uh, molasses is good. And I wondered, would diesel and molasses, a diesel and molasses spray mixture, would that do anything to them?
0: Probably would, but it'd also harm your oak trees and other good things that you have growing there. So I'm probably not going to be doing that. Again, if I'm going to try to kill out an area, I'm just going to cover it up with something dark and uh, let the sun or lack of take care of it. But out in an open spot, if you want to spray diesel, yeah, it'll kill them for sure. But uh, realize that the roots of your oak trees and other good trees may extend 150 feet out from the trunk of the tree. So be real careful where you go about doing that.
13: Well, a lot of this is in, in fact, I'd venture to say that most of this is just in low-level, dense chaparral-type
2: mm-hmm. brush. Mm-hmm.
13: And there's nothing there really that is, well, valuable to save.
0: Well, just remember, you're going to leave some residue in the soil. I would follow it up with some molasses or something like that to clean up as much of it as possible. Um, if it's just out in chaparral where you're not doing anything, I personally don't really see any need to try to get rid of it. But if you want to, you certainly can and you'll kill, you'll kill a bunch of the brush as well. Mac, I've got three other people waiting. So let me get to them and, uh, let me know how you do on that. I'll say good morning to Brad. Good morning, Bob.
15: How you doing today?
0: I'm great. How about yourself?
15: Doing okay. I got a grass question. Okay. Um, I've got a place down in Rockport, Texas, so we're building a barn to Mania, and we're pretty much done with it. Uh, it's a big building. It's 105 feet by 60 feet, and oh, i wow. a, a concrete apron around the outside. In front of the building, it goes out 60 feet and 25 on one side, eight on the other. But we did a lot of land leveling and clearing uh, around the building. And now I've got and I've got the the ground all contoured and 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 ready for grass. So I've got two grass related <laughs> questions. Okay. Uh, like right now, what I'm dealing with is it's like the Sahara Desert. When the wind blows, I've got sand going <laughs> everywhere. Plus, when it rains, you know I have erosion that's happening that I'm trying that I'm trying to deal with by getting some type of grass going.
0: Jimmy Buffett First could make time. a song about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the
15: the uh, I I, have, I built the backyard, uh, fenced it in. I I had to put a retaining wall around it. I got uh, and I filled put in uh, filled dirt. Filled dirt down there is sand and clay. Uh uh-huh. Uh, I've already got a sprinkler system in there and haven't planted anything. And I was planning on planting a, a St. Augustine. I've been, the suggestion that I've been given is Raleigh. I wanted no. to get your take on that. No,
0: stay strictly away from Raleigh. <clears throat> it's very susceptible to brown patch fungus and it is very susceptible to chinch bugs. Down in your area, the best St. Augustine going is Floratam. F l o r a t a m. Not a very imaginative name, but it was a, a joint project of University of Florida and Texas A and M, and that's where Floratam comes from. Floratam is our most sun tolerant, most chinch bug resistant, and uh, simply best all around grass that you're going to have in the coastal area so long as you have enough water to water it. It is the most drought tolerant, but like all St. Augustine's, it needs some moisture and <clears throat> excuse me, but it's it's also very salt tolerant, so uh only St. Augustine I'd consider down there, and I, I think St. Augustine's your best grass for that area, but you want Floratam, you do not want Raleigh.
15: Okay, Floratam it is then. Next question is the rest of the area, I've got about probably one and a quarter acre of bare ground and you know I'm I'm looking at what do I do with it, okay? And I was thinking, you know, either maybe around the pad for erosion purposes to put some uh, Bermuda sod down, so I can get something down that'll help hold the soil in place, and mm-hmm. then planting using a, a seed, uh, some you know uh, uh, the Bermuda grass seed in the other areas i just i won't you know and, and i don't have sprinkler systems in in mm-hmm. these particular areas so uh but i need to get something growing that's going to hold, hold that soil in. why don't why don't I you get, get your take on that
0: why don't you go with the native grass of some sort uh it's gonna be a lot less trouble than bermuda grass uh call douglas king seed here in san antonio and uh um Talk to Dean Williams. He's the head of the whole operation, and uh, Dean may actually have a place at the coast. I'm not sure, but ask him what kind of seed mix he would recommend for your relatively salty soil down there, and uh, um, I I always like diversity, um, and if this is an area that you want to have Minimal maintenance of, then uh, I wouldn't go with Bermuda. I go with uh, just a mix native grass and uh, Douglas King's probably where I go for that grass seed. He can, I mean, he can okay. ship it to your door. You don't have to drive to San Antonio if you don't want to to, you know, get what you need.
15: So how do I mean? How long will it take for that uh, something this this native grass seed to get where it's going to be holding <laughs> soil? I guess.
0: Okay, so how much is it going to rain and when is it going to rain?
15: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's
0: if you get if you had put it in. You know, 10 weeks ago, it'd be up and growing and be holding the soil very well because y'all have had, you know, nice rains down in that area this spring. But as you and I both know, it could cut off and not rain again for three months. And since you don't have supplemental irrigation in that area, uh, if it's really important to you to get this stuff up and growing, Brad, what I would do is, you know, drag a hose with a, with a good solid impact sprinkler out there and figure out how much you can water at a time. And it's probably going to be an area that's about 40 by 40 because you're going to be able to get a good throw of 20, 25 feet out of a good sprinkler. I would seed that area. I would water it. I would get it up. I'd move over to the next little section of it. I'd do another 40 by 40 patch. And, uh, that's the only way that you can, be sure that you're going to get your grass up and growing. And once it's up and established, once it's got some roots established, it's going to take care of it itself. But, uh, you're either throwing it out and praying for rain or you're doing it a small area at a time obviously I would start on the down edge of it and uh, I would make you know my my grass buffer along the area where the erosion erosion's going to be worse and then I just work back up over the rest of it but I'd just be doing it like a checkerboard and if you have the water pressure and have the hoses where you can do two areas at once that's just fine but just bite off as much as you can chew at one time so to speak does that make sense
15: it makes total sense. One other question. I've, I've got what I believe to be is coastal Bermuda growing kind of native out there sure. around in some areas on the property. Yeah. You know, one of the things I was thinking was to, to just taking some of the cuttings, mow it, and take some of the cuttings and spreading that. I mean, i, I not
0: going to do any good. Not going to do any good. Coastal Bermuda doesn't grow from seed. Coastal Bermuda is planted as sprigs. And uh, it's one of the many gambles of agriculture. You sprig your coastal in there. You pray for rain because if it doesn't rain, it's going to die, and you've thrown away a bunch of money. But coastal Bermuda is not a seed-planted grass, and in- Planting, you know, spreading cuttings around is going to be a nice mulch on the surface and nothing more. Now, if you want to go out there and hand dig established pieces of coastal Bermuda, you can do that. There are a couple of companies, well, there's several companies around that actually sell the Bermuda sprigs. But yeah. then if we turn into dry weather, you know, it's if you can't water it, it's going to die. So yeah. it it's there's there's no hundred percent guaranteed trouble free thing to do it, but you're wasting your time trying to you know plant coastal Bermuda for anything other than sprigs.
15: Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the, all the information, and you have a good day.
0: Save a little time for fishing among all this oh, uh, other worry. work you're doing down there.
15: I want us to stop doing work every single day and at least fish every other day. You know,
0: just be sure you've got that CCA Star Tournament registration deal. Maybe you catch one of those tagged redfish and life will be all that much better.
15: (laughs) I actually had a friend, uh, they caught a tagged redfish yesterday
0: fantastic in, in,
15: in a tournament so it was kind of neat
0: i hope i hope they were part of the star tournament because you know
15: the guy the guy that uh, caught it there were three people on the boat that had it the one that didn't and the one that didn't is the one that caught the dang oh
0: fish. man and you have to take a lie to test your test he just passed up about seventy-five thousand dollars worth of boat and motor and trailer so yeah. he's in he's oh, in he a was. depressed state now so uh you go sign up and get out and re-catch that fish i hope they let it go all uh, right, you take care. Thanks, Fred. Appreciate Bye-bye. the call. Bye. Yeah, it's. Uh, oh, you know, <laughs> if you if you feeling lucky, uh, that CCA Star Tournament, uh, it's for good causes, and uh, they give a lot of scholarships away. It's just a neat thing if you happen to be down at the coast. All right, let's get back to gardening and uh, line number three. That would be Willie. You're up first. Good morning, Willie.
3: Good morning.
0: Morning, how sir. How are you doing today? Uh, it's just a great day. Can't wait to get back out into it.
3: Fantastic. About two or three weeks ago, you helped me with a squash problem. I was getting poor pollination. We mm-hmm. followed your instructions and got just a bumper crop of
0: squash. <laughs> yeah, you get to and the then, point the neighbors hide from you because they see you coming with a with a basket of squash every day, and they lock the door on you. I know, I know how that goes.
3: Yes, well, uh, but all of a sudden overnight the plants just kind of wilted and died and i think what i have is a problem with a squash vine borer i've heard you talk about this before yeah but i can't remember what to do about it
0: well it's a moth that actually looks more like a wasp but it's a moth that comes in and lays the egg down toward the base of the squash vine, this egg hatches, and this little grub-like thing just tunnels through the squash vines until they die. And the thing—they—they are—they're the biggest problem out there as far as growing squash. The simplest solution is to plant one of the squash varieties that has a little thin vine. Uh, the most commonly grown one is called tatume, also called calabacita. But uh, Tatumé makes a round green squash. It's very much like just a round zucchini. Very tasty. You can use it just every recipe you normally use squash in. But the vine is small enough in diameter that the grubs can't get into it, that the vine borer can't get into it. Now, if you just really want to grow the crooknecks or the big zucchinis or something – uh, There's some different pheromone traps that some of them work for some people and yet same trap doesn't work for somebody else. What I do is I take a little bit of the BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, the same thing we use for killing all caterpillars, and I actually take a hypodermic syringe and inject it into the stems when my squash plants are young and that pretty much stops them. If you're not comfortable with a syringe you can always use one of these things like uh, they use for injecting into turkeys to you know when you're going to put them on the grill or whatever but um if you're going to grow the patty pants, the crooknecks, um, you know, the big zucchinis and things, that's the only thing that I've found that stops them at least 85% of the time, and that is when those little vines are about six inches long. I'm down there on my hands and knees giving them all an injection of B.T. But uh this time of year, if you want to get another crop growing, plant at least some tatumies. Because they're going to grow and give you lots of squash. They make a little bit longer vine, but they produce heavily, and uh, the the squash vine borers simply can't get into them.
3: Well, fantastic! I, I, was, I didn't know about the other variety, but yeah, I heard you talking about the injection, but I couldn't remember what we injected. Them. Yeah, so no, it's it's, it.
0: it's it's BT, and you can probably get your veterinarian. Uh, supply you with uh you know just a a fairly big bore needle like they give a penicillin shot with i happen to know a good veterinarian that uh that is my supplier on such things i suspect you can get them at a drugstore but you know this day and time and all the the weird stuff going on sometimes it's hard to find them and uh like say that's that's the only thing i found that really works well the yellow squash are real easy to inject uh the uh uh the big old uh uh, zucchinis, that stem's a little tougher. Sometimes I have to go up and down the stem two or three places and stick a little of that uh, BT in. But I, and I use it fairly concentrated. I'll take the, the BT concentrate. I'll put about one or two teaspoons in a cup of water, and that's enough for me to inject 20 or 30 squash plants.
3: Oh, that's fantastic. That's we, we, we will try that, but I will try the other varieties also.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do it, because squash is too good to pass up growing.
3: Oh, we, we enjoy it. I know my wife loves the, the yellow straight-neck squash yeah. and, and the big zucchini, so yeah. we're going to have to find that. But we'll I'll get her hooked on some of the other too. we We'll
0: do that, but that yellow uh, straight-neck or crook-neck, either one, that yellow squash has a really hollow stem, and it's really easy to inject your BT in there, and it'll stop them.
3: Now, how much damage will I do if I use a turkey injector? Because I have
0: several of those. Oh, just use it. You're not going to do any damage to speak of. And like I say, in in the yellow squash, you're only going to have to make one injection point. You can squirt 5 to 10 cc's in there. Um, You know, zucchini, yeah, you're going to be punching more holes in the stem to get very much of it in there. But uh, yellow squash, that's going to be the easiest thing in the world for you to do.
3: Well, it's all trial and error right now. Thank you for all your help. You. Hey, it's
0: it. always a pleasure, Willie. You get out and have a good Sunday, and I'll move on to Alan. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Morning, sir. Uh,
16: three, three questions: uh, the sago palms, are they, or um, uh, will that kill a dog if they eat uh, pups around the bottom?
0: The sagos? Yeah. Yeah, they are. They're very toxic. They cause uh, liver and kidney damage, and. Um, it's real hard to treat so yeah you you definitely eating a frond i don't think is nearly as toxic but eating that whole little ball that whole little pup really really bad you need to um if you have a dog that gets into it first thing i do is get a little peroxide to throw up everything you can and then i get them to your vet and let them put them on iv fluids and try to try to keep them going uh you know till they till they get the toxin out of their systems
16: They haven't done it yet, so I've kept the little pups cut off. Yeah, uh, just uh, wanted to make sure it wasn't just
0: an old tail or something. No, it's not, and the Uh, seeds the seeds are quite poisonous as well. You know, dogs don't naturally go after that unless they, you know, unless they're young dogs or you know, I've got Labs. My business partner has a Golden. Those dogs, anything that resembles a ball, it's going into their mouth. And, uh, so, but, but your average dog is not going to be an issue and they're, they're not going to go after them. And like you say, uh, if you take those little pups off when they form, it's, they're, they're still a good landscape plant and not that much of a problem. And if you have the male plants are never going to make the seeds. So, uh, it's, it's not any, it's something I would be aware of, but I wouldn't spend a lot of time worrying about it.
16: Is the male plant the one that gets the, uh, growth in the middle?
0: Uh, they both get a growth in the middle but the female plant it just kind of makes like a big gnarly mass in there the male plant it actually makes uh, an upright cone um, that uh, it's it's easy to tell the uh, the the cone if it has any like fair-sized protuberance coming up that's going to be a male plant
16: yeah that's what I
0: got good
16: well they haven't got in them yet they don't sniff around them but I you know I heard that so I keep
0: Back. well i'm glad uh, the you called question
16: was <laughs> the hibiscus that froze back in last winter uh-huh. uh, thought they were dead all of a sudden they're coming out and they're getting real pretty and green
0: and all that will they bloom eventually absolutely cut off the dead tissue and feed them fairly frequently and you you'll have flowers for the next three weeks probably
16: okay uh last question uh, if you have a yard that you know, a new yard, it's a year old, and you put winter rye down, and it kind of killed back whatever whatever new Bermuda was there. What would you recommend from Black King Seed for a, a seed to put out to grow a Bermuda lawn?
0: Um, I would just fertilize. Is there a
16: name that you like?
0: Not especially. There's Blackjack is one of the common ones. Riviera is another one, but common Bermuda. But uh, get out there on your hands and knees and look carefully. You probably have plenty of Bermuda left, and you just put fertilizer and water on it. You're going to be amazed at how quickly it fills in. Bermuda was very late coming out this spring because we were unusually right. cool. But uh, uh, my Bermuda grass has grown more in the past two weeks than it's grown in the past two months. So I'd yep. I'd look real carefully. And there's nothing wrong with overseeding with winter rye, but just don't do it so heavily. Uh, you can put it yeah. out so densely, but uh, you know you put it out when you're going to overseed. We use it about uh, half the rate that we're doing bare ground, and uh, you just got a little heavy-handed with your seed. But uh, I'll bet you oh, you've yeah. got enough Bermuda out there that it'll come back on its own. But if you if you want to overseed, uh, you can have to water some. But just good old common Bermuda is going to work. But beyond that, uh, Blackjack Sahara, there are a bunch of good ones out there.
16: Okay. Uh, I kind of think you're right. The yard is up in San Marcos, and I hadn't, haven't seen it. And uh, so I'm kind of thinking that maybe it's there and needs yeah. more water. and more
0: Fertilizer time. and water are going to beat seed every time.
16: All right. Thanks for your time.
0: Always a pleasure, Alan. Thanks for the call this morning. Bye. Bye. All right. Let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Tim is first. Good morning, Tim.
9: Hey, Bob. Good morning. Uh, Subject is tomato plants, and this is a tough year. Too much cloud, too much wind, too much humidity, and a lot of blight. I weigh twice as much as I'm used to,
2: <laughs> and I'm
9: really, and I'm really uh, just crazy about removing lower foliage. So it's even surprising me. Really? Yeah. I mean, I I've got so much lower foliage removed that you look at my plants at the very bottom, you just see the neon green fruit and zero foliage, and then from there up, you see that. The plant, Uh, but especially that the blight is on some of the is mostly not on the determinants, it's on the indeterminants. Right. And I'm thinking it's gotten to the point out here to where I'm thinking I'm just going to delay the planting of those till I. Get maybe get through at least some
0: of this windy stuff. You know, I think that's a real good point because I was very late planting my tomatoes this year, probably six weeks later than I usually do. And I have almost no early blight whatsoever. And I've got determinants and indeterminants. I've got cherries. I've got big fruited tomatoes. Now, I'm going to knock on wood when I say that. But uh, I think everybody that tried to be first on the block and get their stuff in, we had no idea it was going to stay so wet and so chilly and um it's and and i do the same thing i I do the reverse so to speak on my fall tomatoes i plant my fall tomatoes a month earlier than what the extension service says so uh, i'm kind of with you anything that is worth saving keep after it with the corn water tea um but uh if you can you know probably have to grow your own from seed because there are no transplants to be found out there but uh uh, I, I, again, I planted late. I have virtually no early blight and I'm going to take advantage of that fact in the future.
9: Well, I've got wind intensity out here and I can handle it on that, on the determinants. I know yeah. how to build the structure. I know how to do it uh, with staking and guy wires and, cross connecting with bamboo and all that it's just what you have to do out here yeah Uh, older brother was out here we're talking about a mechanical engineering degree and a master's degree in physics his advice on this windy day was two words
10: good luck
0: (laughs) (laughs) well you know i i like the fabric type things and if i had a real wind problem i'd probably just be using shade cloth uh you know on t post and um, that's, you don't want to stop the wind, you just want to reduce its intensity and the effect of the gusts. I I put a little insulate around the bottom of the cages, and uh, even that may be, you know, too dense for a super windy area, but um, peaceful shade cloth. You know, sixty seventy percent shade. Got the grommets in it, and uh drive those t posts down as deeply as you can. And uh how close you space them just depends on how how much your wind is. But that's the best windbreak in the world, and uh it's in effect temporary. You can always pull those posts back out if you need to. But that's what I find makes the best windbreak out there.
9: What about removal of of blighted plant material? Material obviously it's not doing any good good for the plant. But should I try and get a hundred percent if I could?
0: Uh, if you have that kind of time, I'm very very jealous of you. But uh, I I have never seen that it makes that much difference. Um,
2: okay. Okay.
0: I I, I think it's uh, it makes plants prettier. But I don't think it oh, stops sure. the spread, and I don't think it improves tomato production. And you know, all those folks up north that talk about suckering their tomatoes and thinning no, them out—nah, no way, nah. Let the Yankees do that if they want to, but not us guys.
9: Now I've got to make—I've got to do something for visually down here. This my my backyard here in Marion is is a, is a is my garden just shoots up basically out of a bare bare field, so it's mm-hmm. become this kind of a kind of a tourists are trash and look at it and i asked them, come on get out of your car i'll give you some
0: yeah well you know if i if i wanted to cut down on vision i'd probably just you know plant my hikamas on the outer fence or you know, or or some sort of vining crop uh that's gonna be in there. Hicama is a nice thing because you're gonna have vines all summer as opposed to uh, cucumbers that you have to replant every six or eight weeks and things like that. But if you wanna if you wanna disguise what you're doing behind it, uh planting and put up a six foot fence out there and just plant a hicama seed every twelve inches and you'll have a real nice green fence around it.
9: One more quickie, and I'll let you go. Is deadheading my basil? Will that extend it very long? Is that worth picking all those little things off?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it will extend the productive season, and try some of the other varieties other than sweet basil, because most of the others don't seed quite as heavily, and the thing, you know, not only are you encouraging new growth by deadheading, but you're taking away those little seed capsules that have those little tiny black seeds that I've never figured out how something the size of a grain of sand can feel like a boulder in your mouth when you accidentally bite down on it and taking off those flowers and the developing seed pods will give you much higher quality pesto or you know whatever you're using your basil for
9: marinara
0: there you go
9: thanks a lot bob as always
0: always a pleasure tim thanks for the call <laughs> goodbye john's up next good morning john good morning bob morning how are sir you today? i'm good how about you
17: Oh uh, just doing great. Just out out in the garden. It's a little warm, but it's a good day to be out there.
0: Ah, just wear that long sleeve shirt and that wide brimmed hat and keep your dermatologist happy and get some stuff done. It it's only gonna get warmer and uh more humid, so uh take advantage of uh, of you know, the the best time of the day to be out there.
17: Absolutely. Um got a question about a red barn peach I planted in December. Okay. Um, Bought it at Fanix. It's for my area, the chilling hours. And, of course, it bloomed this spring, put on a plethora of peaches. And then one of those big storms came through and blew most of the peaches off. Probably not a bad thing, actually. Right. But it left about six or eight peaches on there, and I've been watching them. And one of the branches has now turned brown, and the two peaches that are on there are just shriveling up. What is that?
0: Probably just too much foliage and not enough roots on a young plant. Um, There's uh, so not
17: a some kind of a scale. Aren't peach no. trees susceptible to?
0: Yeah, but if no. you've got if you've got fruit tree scale, you'll know it. It looks kind of like just a, a little woolly covering over the stems, okay. and uh, we control that uh, in the winter months with the dormant oil. But you're not usually going to see that till your trees are four or five years old, and if you've got good okay, vigorous we'll, trees, you're not going to see it then.
17: This happened about 10 days after I put some citrus tone on there. Um, should I – it said for fruit trees, and, mm-hmm. and I know those those particular uh, – but even though they say citrus, you could probably use it on your pipe oh, tree yeah. also.
0: Yeah, and everything but, um, Espoma does.
17: Have had anything? Could I no. have overdone the fertilizing? Or? Uh, you
0: can, but I don't think it likely. Um, I, You know, a lot of times – did you thin those trees out a lot uh, this spring? Did you, I did. did okay.
17: Yes, sir. Uh, I thinned them out just like you say. Um, down to about five branches, and then it also started to sucker at the base. And mm-hmm. I called Fanex back, and they said, "Yes, that it, it is a um, uh, I can't even think of the word now." A
0: grafted um, variety.
17: Grafted. Thank yeah. you. Yes, and so I was able to to clip the, the you know the off off uh, that, that was coming out of that. And other than that, it looks very healthy, and there's yeah. still about four more peaches on another branch, but yeah. it, it was just odd. One branch just turned brown, and those peaches just shriveled up on there.
0: But, you know, things can happen. Plants can bruise. I mean, before you got that tree and planted it, something could have act physically bruised that area in shipping or transporting or planting or whatever else. And, um, and you know, it just, uh, there just was a problem with that one limb. Nothing's likely to spread or cause any further problem, but, uh, trees come with, they come with their share of invisible damage that happens. I mean, if you can see the way the commercial guys start these things out, they mechanically harvest them with a machine that drives along and literally rips them out of the ground. So, uh, if it doesn't continue, if it's not widespread, I'm just going to trim it off and go on. I, I don't think it's anything to worry about.
17: Great. Well, that's what I'll do. And I, I was guess it was wishful thinking to hope for some peaches in the first year.
0: Yeah, it's very um, wishful thinking. <laughs>
17: that's
0: why when people ask me when the best time to plant a tree is, I tell them five years ago. But the second best time <laughs> is today. Today, yep. yeah.
17: All right, Bob. Well, listen. Thank you so much for your advice. It's always great, and you have a great Sunday. Yeah, you
0: do the same, John. Appreciate the call. All right. well, bye.
17: All right, got to get my last break
0: of the hour out of the way, and then it will be Jimmy and Omar and Greg and whoever's calling in. Man, it's just amazing. We're on like an eight-second time delay, but uh, that phone is ringing a half second after I hang up. So I know you're sitting there hitting redial. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get back to gardening here. Got time for a couple of calls before news. And uh, in order, it's going to be Jimmy, Omar, Greg, and Mark. So Jimmy's turn. Good morning, Jimmy.
4: Good morning, Jimmy. Uh,
0: buenos dias. Buenos dias, senor. Hello,
4: yes. Okay, have I have three questions for you real quick. Okay. Okay, on the first one, I went and I bought some uh, cow manure. Uh, A couple of weeks back, and what I'll do is uh, I usually save the bags so I can use them later on. Uh And I noticed that on the bags, I noticed that one of them had it printed, uh, uh, compost made in Texas, okay? And then on the other bag, I noticed it had cow manure, but I think it came from Florida.
0: That's okay. It's okay, okay? Yeah, it's the, the quality is going to vary a little bit depending on what the cows were eating. But uh, if it's a good packaged product, hopefully uh, they've tested it to be sure it doesn't have any herbicide in it. But, uh, you know, I, I buy Texas when I can, but they sneak a little Florida stuff in, and it's not bad.
4: Okay, because, yeah, I grabbed it from the same pallet. I don't know why... They, I don't know, I mean, they mixed it or something. Probably, probably
0: wondering. the same manure. They just ran out of they one bag, of one so one they bag. used some other bags.
4: <laughs> okay. Okay. The other question is uh, this friend of mine, he gave me a, a one ear of a cactus. Uh huh. And, 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 no, he gave me four because I, I, I went ahead and I put it four on a flower, uh, each one in a flower pot. And, and, uh, and it, this has been about two years ago, uh, two years ago. And I guess with all this rain and all that, the flower itself is is a hot yellow.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah.
4: Does, does, does it also come in red? And also, is that a male or is that a female?
0: They're, they're in the case of cacti, They're what we call monoecious. Each flower has both male and female parts. They're not separate plants. But there are several different species. Uh, This type of cactus that makes the pads is technically called an opuntia. And some varieties have red flowers. Some varieties have yellow flowers. Some varieties have orange flowers. But those are actually different kinds of prickly pear cactus. Okay, okay. And
4: the last question is, on the eggshells, you know, I went in and I put them in a blender. Mm-hmm. They take, they come out real, you know, real small, real fine, whatever. When I put them in the ground, if I have. Earthworms or anything underneath, are
0: they going to eat them? Or are they, gonna- they probably are. Um, our soil doesn't benefit from eggshells the way that some other parts of the country do, but I'm into composting. I'm going to put everything I possibly can into the compost pile or into the ground. So, uh, unfortunately, you're not really helping things very much, but, yeah, I'll put them in the ground. Eventually, the earthworms will eat them up, but they're not going to benefit your plants the same way they would if you lived in North Carolina.
4: Okay, okay. And I think that should be it for me for, uh, for today, senor.
0: Then you get out and enjoy your, uh, your Sunday, Sunday, El Domingo, uh, a day to get out and rest as well as do some work. And uh, we'll talk again, Jimmy. And let me get Omar in here before the news break. Good morning, Omar. Good morning,
18: Omar. morning, Bob. How are you?
0: I'm good. How about you?
18: Uh, the only terrible thing to speak of is that I had a calf lick open a spigot on a 2,500 gallon <laughs> rainwater tank, <laughs> dumped out 2,000 gallons. <laughs>
0: Man, I need a range. Uh, yeah, yeah, those, uh, uh, the, the cows, it's just amazing how much trouble they can get into. Uh, given the opportunity, you think there's nothing possible they could harm around here, and they'll find a way to break a pipe or open a spigot or do the last thing you ever thought they would do. But, you know, welcome to welcome to ranching.
18: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a <clears throat> quick Quick uh, quick question, we, our, our tomatoes and peppers are doing, for the most part, very, very well. I have uh, <clears throat> green zebras that are showing what I would say is blossom end rot, but it doesn't look the same as, as it does in a red variety, it's just... Uh, mush there out there where the flower was is that is that how they show blossom in rot
0: it always starts down on the bottom of it and yeah that's probably what you're going to see on green zebra get get some more epsom salts at this point don't just put them on the ground dissolve about two tablespoons per gallon of water uh it won't affect the plants that are the f- fruit that already has a blossom in drop but it'll stop it from happening on any new ones
18: gotcha okay and then I've got some. <clears throat> it seems like uh, when you spray for for bugs, you know I've got to, that Captain Jack's dead bug. Yeah, it's been a sad. Um, yes, sir. <clears throat> and it, I'm, I'm walking out there. I'm 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 kind of a night owl, so I walk out there, and that's when the bug activity is is heaviest. You know, whether it's right. chinch right. bugs or grasshoppers Is that. Would it be more? Would it, would it be better to spray at night than doesn't, during the day? It doesn't make
0: any difference at all, but I'll tell you, when you run out of Captain Jack's, buy the Spinosad soap. I'm finding it okay. to be about 10 times more effective than Spinosad alone. O'Mara oh, I'm going to put you on hold, and if you've got more questions, we'll talk off the air in just a minute. Right now, it's news time on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. And so now I'm back to the board. It's going to be Greg and Mark and Dave and Jean. and
19: Greg's up first. Good morning, Greg. Hey Bob, good morning. How are you?
0: I'm good, sir. How about you?
19: Enjoying this fantastic morning. Hey man, got a couple questions for you. I've got a plumeria plant that put on a seed pod last year. Okay, and I'm wondering what I need to be thinking about doing.
0: Uh, are you a patient guy? <laughs>
14: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Okay,
0: well, you, see, you can plant. To to you waste. can plant the seed, and it's going to be about three years before they bloom. Uh, they'll be big plants you'll think why the heck hasn't it flowered yet it's just going through the maturing process it's not about uh, size it's about time so just uh, remember what i told you they they grow easily let the pod mature when it opens you can take the individual seeds out and plant them you probably get about a hundred percent germination and they'll make a beautiful plumeria plant but nothing you can do is going to speed up that flowering but if you're willing to wait about three years you may get some different color you may get something you know that doesn't look anything like the parent uh, or you may get something that looks exactly like the parent plant it came from and it's fun to do but it's growing plumeria or really growing much of anything from seed requires some patience that's why i was teaching you about that
19: sure thing well speaking to that i've got a couple of different volunteers that have come up in my yard and i was wondering if I can replant them successfully, one of them is a Japanese uh, kumquat or what we might call, I call a loquat.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's and, Chinese plum is the common name on them, but yeah, you can, oh, okay. you can dig those up. And how, how big is the little uh, seedlings come up?
19: I've got a number of them in ranging from 18 inches to some that are already six or seven feet tall.
0: Okay, the 18-inch ones, go ahead and dig them up and put them in containers, replant them, whatever. The bigger ones, wait until fall to do it. You know, the smaller plants, you're not going to damage a significant portion of the root system, so you can do it any time. That plant that's as tall as you are, you're going to mess up the roots when you try to dig it and move it, so it would be better to do that in cool weather than in the hottest part of the year. Does that make sense?
19: Yo, perfectly. That's great. And I have some volunteers uh, from my mountain laurel tree that I really want to re uh, relocate. Oh, okay, how big are they? Oh, I've got some that are six inches tall, and I've got a few that may be up to two or two and a half feet tall.
0: Okay, well, I will tell you this about mountain laurels. Even the pros lose up to half of them. It's the most difficult plant out there to transplant. Uh, But by the same token, the smaller the seedling is, the better your chance of transplanting it is. You've got to treat that root ball like a giant egg. And if that root ball gets busted up, very little chance it's going to survive. You know... I would think about doing this and, and don't put it off. You've got nothing to lose. They're going to live or they're going to die. But if you can dig, I'd think about going ahead and putting them in pots, knowing that, you know, not all of them are going to make it. Uh, let them grow in the pot for six months or a year. The ones that look good over that period of time, it's much easier to transplant it out of a pot without breaking the roots up. Uh, And you've got a much higher chance of success that way than if you're trying to dig it and move it to, you know, a different place. Because I can promise you with Murphy's Law... If you plant 10 of them and 5 of them die, the 5 that die are going to be the ones that you really, really wanted to have a Mount Laurel in that spot. So (laughs) just uh, being the, uh, I was just talking to my engineer about the fact that we're both very much optimists, but when you, when it comes to transplanting Mount Laurels, a little pessimism is a necessary thing, but if you transplant them into containers, let them grow for a few months, then you're going to have about a 99% chance of moving them from the container into the ground successfully and that way you can be sure the ones that uh, you where you plant them they're going to be most likely to survive and grow and that's what I would do if it were me.
19: Fantastic. Any time of the year better than another like you mentioned.
0: Well, always the fun. cool the cooler weather is the best time because uh transpiration is lower, there's much less environmental stress on the plants. But that six inch mount laurel now is gonna be an eighteen inch mount laurel by the time it cools off, and the bigger they get, the harder they are to transplant. So um you know six of one half a dozen or another winter time is the best time to do it but uh last winter would have been the best time to do it rather than next <laughs> winter so to speak just because it's going to get bigger and harder to transplant between now and when cool weather comes back
19: well fantastic thanks for all you do and really appreciate your
0: show. well it's my pleasure i appreciate the call and uh whatever you decide to do have fun doing it and we'll talk again i'll get mark in houston next good morning mark
20: Good morning, sir. Hope you're doing well.
0: I'm very well. How about yourself?
20: Well, I'm vertical, as you know, which is at my age, pretty close to
0: well. Well, yes, and uh, I don't know how you feel about things. We had a customer here in town that uh, had a a weekend place here in San Antonio, and I was making a delivery to him one time, and they have a big sign up in the backyard that said, Life is too short to live it in Houston. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether you'll agree with that or not. I, I know a few people that live in Houston that are happy with it, and a lot of them that can't wait to get to the coast or to the hill country every time they can.
20: Well, I think, as you know, Wendy does not like it here. and She drops hints all the time about reasons why we need to move.
0: Okay, it's- well, now I know what Mark I'm talking to, so... Uh yeah it's um it's it's it, it is what it is <laughs> the same way i feel about dallas i i never lived there until i went to college but i spent a lot of my summers growing up in dallas and lived there for a couple of years uh with college and beyond but uh um, my it's a fun place to visit but i'm sure glad i don't live there anymore
20: yeah well i uh lived in new orleans for a while that was a fun place but that's certainly not a place to raise your
0: kids. yeah and not necessarily a place you want to raise your kids that's for sure yeah,
20: absolutely uh Ever we go to salad bars and they have jicama, I load up on the jicama. It's never occurred to me to try to grow it, but listening to your show today, it's kind of uh, piqued my interest in it. Can jicama be grown in the Houston area, number one, and second, too late to try?
0: Uh, it's not too late to try at all. As a matter of fact, I'll probably be planting some more seed this coming week. In Houston, I'd be growing it in a raised bed because the biggest enemy of jicama is soil that's too wet. And if you grow it in a raised bed, you're naturally going to have better drainage. And I'm going to give you about a 95% chance of growing good jicama. Nothing wrong with the soil, nothing wrong with the climate. Uh, But if we get into a monsoon season, it's not going to do as well. We have fewer monsoons in the hill country than you have in Houston. So that's my only hesitation. But uh, it should grow very easily and very successfully for you.
20: Is it something that can be grown in a large pot? I understand it's it's a vine, so you have to have some kind of a trellis
0: for it. You know, you would. You could grow it in a tomato cage. Uh, I'm very fond of these fabric pots. Of uh, You know, a hard-sided pot, you may get sort of deformed growth. If I were growing it, I wouldn't be doing one per pot. I'd be doing like a 14-, 16-inch pot and planting about three seeds per pot. But uh, look for the what they call the smart pots or the big bag beds, something like that. I think they do just fine, and that do very well. And then you just put a tomato cage in the top of it and let the vine grow up. They don't make a real dense foliage. This is not like planting Confederate jasmine or, you know, wisteria or something like that, that, you know, one plant's just going to dominate. You could easily grow three plants in a 14-, 16-inch uh, pot, and uh, one tomato cage would be all the, all the uh, trellis you needed for it to grow on.
20: Super. Now, do they have sexes? Are they male, female plants as well, or no? Does everyone that No. That...
0: They're, every one of them uh, is monacious. They have uh, they. They're what we call perfect flowers. It's uh, taking me back to my days of teaching basic botany some plants the plants are separate male and female some plants the flowers are separate same plant has male flowers and female flowers those are called imperfect flowers but a plant like a jicama has what we call perfect flowers it has both stamen and pistil so uh um you know every flower could potentially make a seed and or actually a seed pod you're gonna develop a uh you know, little bean-like seed pod, and I find, you know, in mine, it's usually uh, two, three, four seeds per pod. Occasionally, I'll get one that has eight or ten seeds in it, but uh, they're fairly, fairly prolific in seed production. Every plant you plant, you're probably going to get a minimum of 15 or 20 seed out of it at the end of the summer, so uh, um, you're going to do fine with them without any, uh, the plants are going to do it without any help from you. Super,
20: so the final question, or at least semi-final question is where is the best source what is your source for hickamah seeds other than the ones you've already started to plant
0: (laughs) i think i got mine originally from baker creek seed baker creek's a good seed company a lot of their seeds are organic and they're just they're real good people to do business with uh and they're very reliable they have good quality seed and they ship promptly
20: super thank you very much sir
0: always a pleasure you have a good day in houston and uh we we'll look forward to seeing you over in the Hill Country sometime soon, Mark. Tell Wendy I.
20: I uh, well, she'll she'll hear you in just a minute when the delay finishes.
0: Ah, uh, sounds good. You have thanks, a good sir. weekend, Bye. and thanks for the call. Um, let me go ahead and get this break out of the way, so I don't get behind. Dave, Gene, and Judy are my next three callers, and that line I just hung up's already already ringing. So uh, you got to be very fast on your dial if you're going to get through. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Dave, Jean, Judy, and Paul in that order. Good morning, Dave.
14: Good morning from soft and uh, sweet Fair Oaks Ranch.
0: <laughs> oh, very good. How are things in Fair Oaks this morning?
14: Well, I'm sitting here looking at a yard full of deer.
0: Oh, man. I tell you, it's, uh, you know... I I don't know if I've ever told you, a lot of years ago when they were developing fair oaks, I told Janice Ferrague, you're either going to have to trap and move a lot of deer, or you're going to have to raise the speed limit. you just got too many deer out in that country.
14: Yep. Listen, my question (laughs) is uh, about pecan tree and uh, wet worms. Okay. Uh, I was at uh, Shade of Green and bought uh, a couple of the... uh, uh, what do you want to call them, packages or whatever? Yeah, trick your uh, grandma. The, yeah. Yeah. The, <clears throat> yeah. Old boss. Now, I, I've used them last year, only bought one, and I, I I tied it to the tree with a string. Uh-huh. And, and the, uh, the wind just beat it to death, so I wasn't sure I was getting anything out of it. This year, I talked to one of your salespeople, and they suggested that I, I tack it. To the tree, uh, to the bark on the <laughs> south side of
0: the tree. Uh, you, you can did. do that. Um, the problem is that, you know, when you when you buy Trichogramma, what you're actually buying is a little strip of paper that has uh, several thousand moth eggs that have a little developing wasp larva inside of them. Unfortunately, fire ants love to eat those moth eggs, so if you're going to tack it to the tree, uh it's best to do it to uh, coat the nail with vaseline and you know have it out away from it or tangle foot or something like that the thing about putting it out with fishing line which is what i usually use the monofilament line uh the wind does not really hurt it as long as it's not just beaten up against the trunk of the tree or something else but uh you can secure it any way you like i mean you could um, put it in a jar with little with holes in the lid or something. That little wasp is really tiny and uh, can find its way out. the The only real consideration in putting your trick wasp strips out is just be sure the fire ants can't get to them.
14: Okay, but here's what happened: I put them out, mm-hmm. and then one day uh, they were empty. So is is that an indication that the fire ants got them? Probably.
0: Probably, Probably. so. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's because you know. It's so you're down to just bare paper on the card.
14: Yeah. Yep. One of them. The other one was about half gone.
0: yep but, Well. Uh, yeah.
14: I did. I've really kind of eliminated the fire ants. I mean, I I leave some of them around mm-hmm. in a in a like a, a garden that I have because. I have a dog, and I figure they'll do a number on the ticks and the fleas. Well, the ticks,
0: the ticks, especially. I do the same thing, but uh, yeah, that's and it's it's just frustrating how good they are at finding and how quick they find things like that. So, um, you know, if if I were going to tack them to the tree, I would probably use something like a sixteen penny nail. And I'm going to slide that little strip all the way out to the head of the nail, and I'm going to have three inches of bare nail between the strip and the bark, and I'm just going to coat the shaft of that nail with uh, tanglefoot, Vaseline, axle grease, whatever I can find that the ants can't cross.
14: Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll probably try that next time. I I was pretty lucky at getting rid of them last year. Yeah. And then they're not overcome in their spotting. Well but they're- way up in the tree i can't get to them I
0: and think. that's that's why the trick grandma are the answer to both pecan nutcase bears and webworms the webworms seem to be a little late in coming out this year i certainly hope that remains the situation you could probably put out a few more of them if you wanted to just yeah, to be on okay. the safe side but you know every little strip has what three to five thousand uh developing larvae on it so it doesn't take a whole lot of them i think they say four or five strips per acre is enough to pretty much stop your webworm. So uh, you're going to have to make the call on how many eggs are left on that one strip and decide whether you need to do any more or not.
14: Okay. I, and if we have time, I've got one comment. Uh, yes, sir. I live on the golf course, so uh-huh. I've got deer, you know, eating everything. But I have discovered, I've lived here for 26 years. Yes, sir. That it, it, you know has sometimes they'll even attack That things they quote unquote don't prefer. Yeah, but notice if it's new, uh, they'll pull up anything. Oh yeah. I can protect it for one or two years with you know chicken wire or something. Then after that, once it becomes a material plant, they won't bother it anymore.
0: Well, and here's here's what you're doing. A deer doesn't have incisors. It doesn't have teeth that it can bite a leaf off to taste it. So the only way it gets a taste of it is they have to rip it off, and they're not intentionally pulling your plants up. But they're ripping, trying to get enough of a mouthful of it to see what it tastes like. And in the process, they're pulling it up out of the ground. Second thing is that when you first get plants from a nursery, when a nursery first gets plants from our growers... Ninety-nine percent of the big nursery chains or or growers, they use uh, these synthetic chemical fertilizers that produce a fast growth that doesn't have a lot of aromatic quality. So a lot of things the deer will eat uh, at first, but once you get it in the ground, once you're giving it your good organic fertilizer, things like that, it starts developing those natural oils and things like that. And the same plant that the deer dined on, two weeks ago, once that plant's put on a few leaves, once that plant has gotten away from that uh, that junk food that the grower was putting on it, uh, many plants, uh, and you can look around Fair Oaks Ranch and see what's deer resistant. Is Viburnum suspensum? Is Mountain laurels? Uh, there, there are a number of things, but you're very accurate in your observations that when they're first planted, they are a lot more susceptible to damage. And many plants, after they've been in the ground even for a few weeks, will be much more resistant to deer damage.
14: Uh, thank you for taking my call and I uh, listen to you all the time. Well, thank
0: you for calling, Dave. It's always good to hear from you, and uh, I appreciate it. And let me get on to Gene. Good morning, Gene.
10: Good morning, Bob. Morning. I just have a question. You had talked yesterday, I believe, about the Gulf Fritillaries. Yes. And uh, I got uh, some passion vines I started growing this year. Uh-huh. And, you know, the, they laid eggs and... the uh, caterpillars are all over them and they have eaten those things down to nothing yep uh so i was just wondering what other plants do the what could i maybe transfer them to uh so they don't die
0: well they they are pretty much passion vine is about the only thing they feed on now our native passion vine uh is hardier than say the incense which is the real deep purple one and uh Um, I would always uh, put out, you know, a a native plant along with uh, one of the prettier ones, although the native plants are still pretty and unusual. But that incense passion, that's just so fragrant and uh just quite frankly every now and then you just have to pick a few of the caterpillars off and you know leave part of the vine for the caterpillars and keep part of the vine for gene but if i was yeah. uh, uh they're, they're just not any other groups of plants that that gulf fritillary uses as a larval host but uh okay. if you plant some of the uh the native passion vine uh, it's going to be so vigorous and produce so much foliage i've never seen them totally strip it the way they do some of the some of the more uh uh horticultural varieties
21: what is the native then?
0: It is kind of a whitish one with a blue cast to it uh it's pretty thing it's uh it's a woodier plant and it usually doesn't freeze i've got it on the edge of my vegetable garden and uh it's um gosh i wouldn't uh don't know how to describe it to you, other than it's just it's a much lighter color with uh, darker overtones. The flower itself is very very similar to uh, the other passion vines.
10: What is the name of that? Is there a name that I should look for?
0: I uh, just just ask for native passion vines. Native yeah.
10: All right. Well, thank you, Bob, and uh, I will take a look around for that.
0: I think uh I think you and the Gulf Fritillaries will both enjoy it. And I appreciate it, Gene. Thank you, sir. And Bye-bye. goodbye. All right. Let's go ahead and go a little longer here. Judy's next and then Paul in Virginia. Good morning, Judy.
22: Hi, Bob. Hi uh, there. I have uh, two little questions for you, I think. Okay. Uh we have a Merlot grape plant yeah. that we've had for about three years now, and this is the year that it's blooming and we have some grapes. Good. So can you tell me what I need to do to keep those grapes coming?
0: Well, of course, watch your watering. Water very thoroughly when you water, but Uh don't water again until the soil is dry a knuckle or so deep. Uh, If you want good quality grapes, um, the the grapes that, that they grow in wine country and things like that are relatively dry climates. So don't overdo it on your water. And uh, you're probably going to need to put some bird netting over them because once those grapes get close to maturity, uh, the birds are going to be after them, you know, before they're really quite ready for us to harvest. But, uh, and if you want to put a little natural organic fertilizer around, that's fine too. But uh, they don't, you know, now that the the grapes are actually set and growing, they don't need much help for us, from us. They just, you don't want to overdo the watering, you want to protect from the birds, and that's about all you need to do.
22: Great. Okay, my next question, and I probably know the answer, but I have a fruit cocktail tree that um, is over 10 years old. Mm -hmm. It it blooms beautifully, blooms everywhere. Um, Over the past three, four years, I've gotten maybe three or four plums, and that's it. Um, Is it time for me to retire this little tree? I hate to tear it down because
0: it's beautiful but no, leave it and let it grow but just don't set your expectations too high um i've the the this idea of grafting several different kinds of fruit on one tree is more a gimmick than anything else yeah, and unfortunately know, but... the varieties they graft on there many times are not suitable for the area that you're growing them due to difference in chilling hours and you know difference in fertility and pollination so uh it's just kind of a curiosity but hey if you want good plums just go out and plant a santa rosa and a methley or something like that and, and you'll do a yeah, whole I lot better than you do on that little fruit them, cocktail
22: but, yeah i got the i got really good plums off of them but it's few and far between yep so, okay thanks bob
0: it's always a pleasure judy thanks for the call and paul's up next good morning paul
23: hey good morning um got a question i've got a like a. Fifteen plus year old sago,
2: mm-hmm.
23: uh, sago palm, and um, I kind of neglected. I don't even think it bloomed last year, and it was looking terrible. Uh huh. Um, I fertilized it. It got the cone this year, and it it bloomed out. And I went in this morning. I cut out all the dead stuff. But, um, so all I have left is that top new crown.
22: Uh-huh. Yeah.
23: question is, there's a bunch of pups at the bottom.
22: That you can do whatever um,
23: you want. So it really um, flares at the bottom. Can I cut that? No, okay,
0: hang on just a second, Paul. I've got uh, this last call didn't hang up properly. Let me do something here. Let me do this. and Okay. Now oh, it should be in good shape. Okay, so you've got the pups coming out at the bottom
23: the growth off that were coming out of those my question is it doesn't have that nice cylindrical um trunk that goes into the ground it flares out because all these pups right is it safe to cut those or should i just leave it
0: it's up to you uh you're not going to hurt the parent plant uh now that it is through the reproductive phase it's going to start putting on more that you know that little set of fronds it does once a year it's going to go back to doing that on the top of the plant uh in its if left to its own devices a sago palm would like to be a plant with multiple trunks coming up and uh if you have room for it just leave them alone and let them grow if you would rather have a single trunk cut those little pups off If you would like to have more plants, wait until about August or so when the soil is really hot, and then you can root the little pieces that you take off of the big plant and have a whole forest of sagos to plant or share with your friends or whatever you want to do. But it's really strictly up to you. The plant doesn't care one way or another.
23: I see. Great. Thanks. And one one more quick question. I have a uh, peach tree that is just loaded. (laughs) Very good do i i mean is it too much for the tree or am i interrupting its own natural thing should i pull some off
0: (laughs) you know if you'd asked me this if if you'd asked me this question yeah if you'd asked me this question six weeks ago i would have told you to thin the fruit this late into the process it's not going to make much difference so no uh (laughs) what what variety peach is it
23: um I think it's a golden... I can't recall. I'm sorry.
0: Okay. Um, Well, it's probably pretty close to maturity. You're probably going to start having peaches to pick in the very near future. So I'm just going to prop the limbs up as best I can. Um, and just enjoy the fruit. It's probably going to mature at a little bit smaller size than if you had thinned the fruit out. But the time we thin the fruit out is when it's the size of a marble, not when they're already up to golf ball size or bigger. So at this point, just let the tree do its thing, prop it up if you feel like a limb is in danger of breaking, and try to beat the birds to uh, some of the most delicious fruit you're ever going to eat.
23: Amen. Thank you, Bob. I love your show.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for the call this morning, Paul. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Virginia, Sydney, Pat, and Nick. And Virginia's up first. Good morning, Virginia.
22: Can you hear me?
0: I hear you just fine. Yes.
22: Yeah. Uh, I have three short questions. Uh, I had gotten some brick from a big box store okay and uh it doesn't dissolve i had gotten it before from them and uh-huh. they expanded great and this one i mean it's been soaking in water for days and I have to go in there physically with my hand. Do they put glue in there with that, or is they just press it too
0: hard? Oh, it's just pressed into such a hard deal. You just hit it with a hammer a few times. <laughs> you know, drive over okay. it with your car or whatever. I I usually have much better luck physically breaking it up than I do soaking it, but what you may want to do is soak it, soften it up a little bit, and then literally you know, hit it with a hammer or a mallet. I would like one of those uh, hammers that has a rubber head on it. They used to call them a hubcap yeah, uh-huh. hammer. But uh, I think uh-huh. that's what you're going to have to do is just physically break it up. Nothing wrong with it. It's it's coconut fiber, and sometimes it just gets uh, compressed a little too hard.
22: Yeah, it might have been wet when they pressed it too.
0: Yeah, it's certainly uh, a possibility. Yeah. Uh,
22: another thing, uh, I have two more questions. Uh, how to plant sweet potato slips. Uh, am I going to be using uh, rock phosphate? Don't do that. What to do uh, with them too?
0: Do you have your it? Do you have your slips rooted and ready now?
22: Yes, uh-huh. but I mean, I want to transplant them into a different area.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I don't normally worry about, uh, the rock phosphate on sweet potatoes. I don't think it makes a lot of difference. Just, you know, good loose soil and plenty of sunshine. Uh, sweet potatoes are easy to grow. They're gonna make a vine that's gonna kinda try to take over the world. But uh, it's uh, uh, it's not a bad thing. Just plant them out in the sunshine. You'll need to give them plenty of water at first. In fact, you'll need to water them pretty regularly right along. I plant yeah. mine in a uh, defined bed. I actually use one of those fabric beds because yeah. I don't want them to come up, you know, all over the entire garden and may never know where the sweet potatoes are. But uh, they're really easy. Yeah. Just, just plant them out in the sun and almost any soil. Keep them watered and get ready for sweet potatoes.
22: What about fertilizer? It has to grow or no fertilizer? Or
0: has one? to grow is fine. If you want to put some growing green or uh, nature's creation in before you plant, then uh, that's fine. But uh, to follow up afterwards, has to grow is great.
22: Okay. Last question: Can you use Epsom salt and rock phosphate together? I know not stir them up together, but I mean like with transplanting tomatoes. Find well.
0: I wouldn't, and here's the reason. Rock phosphate is actually something that's going to affect the roots of your plant, and we put it in as a glob where the roots can take that up. Epsom salts, on the other hand, you're actually changing the chemical nature of the soil So we want to spread the Epsom salts all over the place where we only want to concentrate the uh, rock phosphate. So, no, I'm just going to sprinkle the Epsom salts around on the surface of the soil and, you know, water in or wait for the rain. But the rock phosphate is going to be in a solid glob in the bottom of the hole. So, no, I I would use them differently. You can do it at the same time. I mean, you can put your Epsom salts out uh, immediately after you've planted your plants. But I, I sure wouldn't mix the... The phosphate and the I, epsom salts together.
22: I usually plant garlic with my uh, tomatoes for like any fungal problems. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Can they be exposed to epsom salts? Sure. Big Sure. There's nothing. And
0: Uh, no it's not going to harm them or change the quality in any way epsom salts are just magnesium sulfate some plants like roses absolutely love it some plants like tomatoes is really good at stopping the blossom end rot but it's not going to hurt anything and it's not going to affect the flavor or the growth of anything else
22: okay thank you very much you have a very good
0: show i appreciate that as always you have a wonderful sunday and let me get sydney in here good morning sydney
24: Hi, good morning, Bob. How are you?
0: I'm good. How about you today?
24: I'm fine. I don't know if you remember me. It's been a while since I called um, out here by the Olive Farm. Right. Um, So my problem previously was always grasshoppers. Whenever I had a beautiful garden, they'd come and clean me out. Right. So I said uh, I would not do another garden unless I had a greenhouse. So my son helped me build a greenhouse. Excellent. And... Yeah, everything is doing pretty good. Now, I did go out there a couple of weeks ago, and I found, and I don't know what they were. They were little orange bugs about the size of a ladybug. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't know if you know what those are. Um, are they? they kind of, I guess maybe like a beetle.
0: Okay. Do, or did they have a, you know, like an almost a hard shell like a ladybug, or did they have long black legs?
24: No legs, but a uh, hard shell. They're
0: probably a form of ladybug. There are about six different kinds of ladybugs, uh, and as long as it was uh, orange, everything's good. There is a chartreuse-colored thing called a uh, bean beetle that uh, is bright lime green, and those are the bad guys. But if this was orange, it was some form of ladybug, and it's it's a good uh, it's a good bug to have around. <coughs>
24: Oh, <laughs> okay, because I noticed my, they were only on one tomato plant, mm-hmm. and that tomato would not produce, that plant would not produce any tomatoes. Now, I picked off a, probably a good 12 over three-day period, mm-hmm. and then I noticed I started getting tomatoes. Now, I don't know if that.
0: I think really it was just coincidence. I think it was just coincidence.
24: Okay, so now I guess my question is, everything's doing pretty good. I do have some cucumbers that are looking pretty. Um, just the plants, mm-hmm. um, yellowish, green, light greenish, yellow. Uh huh. Is that over water, or do I need to give it some nutrients?
0: Or? I'll probably give it some nutrients. Cucumbers like a quite a lot of moisture, and down in your soil down there that drains so well. You're going to be watering every couple of days, but. Uh, with the rain and everything that we've had, its uh, plants have just used up the nutrient faster than they frequently do. I'd be using some Has-To-Grow or, you know, one of the good liquid fertilizers. Medina also makes a fish fertilizer. Liquid is very good. Espoma makes a good liquid fertilizer. But uh, I'd be feeding those cucumbers every couple of weeks to keep them greener and to keep them going.
24: Okay, and since the tomato plants and everything else are doing good, just go ahead and just leave them alone?
0: Just leave them alone. Keep feeding them as well and um, you can expect that your big-fruited tomatoes are going to stop, slow down on setting new fruit simply because the night temperatures are high. Your cherry tomatoes are going to continue to set fruit all summer, but uh, just keep on feeding. You ought to be producing eggplants. You ought to be producing bush beans, cucumbers, squash. There should be a lot of things coming on in the garden, but uh, if you feed regularly, you'll stretch that season of harvest out a lot longer.
24: Okay. All right. Okay, Bob. Well, sounds good. Thank you very
0: much. And if you haven't planted any okra and you like okra, it's not too late. Get your okra planted soon, and because uh, it's a real hot weather lover. And uh, for people that are still looking for something to put out in the garden, I'd still recommend okra is one of the very best things. So you get out and enjoy it, Cindy. I appreciate the call.
2: Okay. Thank, Thank you. You, have a good
0: uh-huh. day. you too. Bye. All right, man. Where did those three hours go? This day has raced by, and phone lines have stayed absolutely jam packed, which I appreciate. Uh, let's finish up with Pat and Nick, and Pat is up first. Good morning, Pat.
22: Hi, hi, Green. Good, Good morning. I'm calling about a large jalapeno plant, Bob. It was had a bunch of blooms on it, and then suddenly dropped most of its leaves just from one day to another.
0: Is it in a pot or is it in the ground?
22: Well, it's in the pot, but I have some bell peppers that are in the ground, and the same thing happened to them.
0: Are the leaves on the ground underneath the plant, or did the leaves disappear completely?
22: No, they're there. They're underneath the plant, just whole, looks like.
0: It is probably a water issue, and my suspicion is that it probably got too wet. Peppers, uh, they like plenty of water, but they like to dry out between waterings. And if they stay too wet, you'll you'll lose the leaves. And if you don't watch that watering, you'll lose the plants. So are you seeing any new leaf growth on them?
22: Uh, Not yet. It just happened yesterday.
0: Okay. Well, don't water any more until that soil is dry a good half an inch deep. You probably have to water the pot before you'll have to water the ones in the ground. When you Mm -hmm. water... It would be good to add a little super thrive or a little uh, liquid fertilizer like has to grow or something like that. Usually the plants will come back out, but I think you're just being a little too kind to them, Pat. I think you're taking a little too good care of them, and that's really good on bush beans and cucumbers and really bad on peppers. Oh, okay.
22: Well, I'm glad that's all it is that's all it is. I yeah. thought it might be a bug or something.
0: No, if uh, if the leaves were totally gone, I would worry that you had some cut ants in the garden or something like that, but just leaves turning a little yellow and falling off the plants, that's almost always a water issue.
22: Okay, great. Thank you, Bob.
0: Remember, yeah, just, just, well, I appreciate that. Let me just remind you one thing on watering, and I always try to tell people, is there's no such thing as too much water But there is too often. So when you water those plants, really flood them. I mean, in the pot, most of the roots are down in the bottom of the pot. In the case of the ones in the soil, the ones, the roots are really way down in the ground. So when you water them, you've really got to give them plenty of water to get every root wet. But then wait until that soil is dry an inch or so deep before you water again. If you'll follow that simple rule, you'll grow much better plants, whether it's houseplants, peppers, or tomatoes.
22: Okay, sounds great. Thank I've, you. You're
0: welcome, much. Pat. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Okay, let's talk to Nick. Good morning,
21: Nick. Good morning. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you doing today?
21: I'm good, thanks. I, I have a question for you regarding grass and actually toads. So okay. I, uh, I started laying St. Augustine. It's coming in great, but I've noticed I have tons and tons of toads.
0: That's a good I thing didn't
21: know if that that is okay, because yeah. i didn't know if the, I know they burrow in the ground, and i didn't know if they could do damage to the grass, that kind of thing, so well I've just known
0: yeah they will they will do a little digging, and it's amazing how how much digging a toad can do, but for every little bit of damage they do by digging a little too vigorously, they eat you know every possible creature you can imagine out there in the way of bad bugs i i'm laughing just thinking about a home i lived in a while back i had a light out on the back porch and this big old toad pretty smart creature i guess it's hard to give toads credit for having much of a brain but this this big old toad would come out and he would sit under that porch light at night a june bug would bang into that light fall down on the ground and before it could even turn over I mean, t- too fast for the eye to see. That tongue would shoot out, and that that toad had just eaten that June bug. So, uh, it's a good right. thing in that they're going to take care of virtually every damaging bug that could possibly come along. And if they do a little digging, a little burrowing, it's it's not all that bad. They're not gonna not going to cause any real problems. You're seeing a big, big number of them because uh, we've had so much moisture lately.
21: Okay, and that's all I was wondering because I, I know the. The St. Augustine retains more moisture, and I'm cutting it a little uh, taller than I usually do, but I've just seen a, an incredible amount. I probably, <laughs> yesterday, I counted 20 different toads in probably a, a 20-foot area. So,
0: well, that, the numbers to- are going to go down through natural attrition, and uh, uh, don't be totally surprised. You, you, I want to tell you about a really interesting snake that may show up if you have a lot of toads. Have you ever heard of a hognose snake?
21: I have heard of it. I, I haven't seen one around.
0: Well they, they have kind of a turned up snout that they use for bur- for digging around looking for toads And this snake will, it's the biggest bluffer in the world. It'll scare the heck out of you. It'll hiss. Uh, it'll flatten its neck out like a cobra. It'll draw its head back and it will strike at you like you wouldn't believe, but it never opens its mouth. It never tries to bite you. It just sits there and jabs it with the, jabs you with its nose, but it's the biggest bluffer in the world. And especially your wife or kids can, can frighten them substantially. But the funniest thing about them, if it's not, if you, if it's its bluff doesn't work to get you to go away and leave it alone it turns over and plays dead and it looks just exactly like a dead snake you can call its bluff if you turn it right side up it knows that a dead snake's supposed to be upside down it'll turn over upside down again so if you got a lot of toads you may have a hognose snake show up but uh uh, it's not a bad thing, and 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 they're just amusing creatures, so leave them be. But the the toads are they're going to do a lot more good than they are damage. And if they do a little burrowing, just take your foot and push that dirt back into the hole, and don't worry about it.
21: Right, perfect. All right, sir, I appreciate it. I love your show. Well,
0: I appreciate it. Let me ask you just one or two more quick questions about your grass. How long has it been since you put it in?
21: Uh, about. I want to say about five to six weeks.
0: Okay, so it's uh, pretty well established. Uh, You ought to be cutting back to watering about every three days at this point. Uh, another month or so you can cut back to watering once a week but i get away from daily watering because that's going to start keeping it too wet and you can have some problems but uh, i'd be watering about every three days maybe every four days if you haven't already done so it's certainly time to put a little bit of organic fertilizer out and uh sounds like you're off to a real good start
21: perfect yes sir that's what i've been doing so nick
0: you keep up the good work and call me anytime we help hey thanks a lot my pleasure thank you sir all right yeah i just had to throw a little bit about hognose snakes because they are so funny and they're very beneficial i don't don't ever harm a hognose snake but they are the biggest bluffers in the world and knowing that most people are afraid to afraid of snakes to begin with it's just almost humorous watching a person's reaction to those things (laughs) including my grandfather, who used to call them hissing adders. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, Phone lines are open now for Dr. Kirby's show. We've only got less than a minute left here in the uh, plant show. Uh, Just, you know, don't know of any real big events going on in the gardening world, but do remember it's Father's Day and do remember lots of dads like working in the yard and there are some great tools out there. Uh, We've discovered a new line of tools from a company called Centurion I'm really impressed. They're really top quality and really reasonably priced. So uh, think about visiting a good nursery, thinking about visiting a good nature store like Wild Birds Unlimited as you do your Father's Day shopping because uh, two weeks from today, that's when you better be doing something nice for your dad. Um, In the garden, certainly time to uh, plant okra. If you can find transplants, you can put out more tomatoes or peppers. You can plant more bush beans. You can plant more cucumbers and a lot of other things that I guess we'll just have to talk about next week here on KTSA Radio in beautiful San Antonio, Texas.